And now, ladies and gentlemen, time for the show. Once again, thank you for coming to our theater tonight. Have an enjoyable evening. Three cinephiles have come together to bring you strong opinions, controversial statements, epic battles, and plenty of fun. Introducing our host, the man who watches 52 movies a week, drinks 52 beers a movie, loves women but hates the woman. From the foreign land of Canada, our host, Mood 616. He is widely known as the man who talks too much. His worst enemies are Postmaster P and Pee Wee Herman. He said Hellraiser was overrated and Leprechaun Origins wouldn't suck. He's the full-blooded half-Mexican. JP. Finally, we have the man who doesn't talk enough. He is best friends with Sean S. Cunningham. His favorite horror movie is Gummo. He is your favorite Jew and mine, Jeremy. Together, they are known for extending a helping hand to vampircons everywhere. They are the 22 shots of moods and horror. Yes, yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 125 of the 22 shots of moods and horror podcast is coming at you live. I am your host, the crazy Canadian who feels like he drank 52 beers last night, also known as moods. And sitting on my left... We have the man widely known as the Mexican from Pittsburgh and who has no idea who John Lithgow is. And he's feeling the ill effects of that lashing the Penguins received from my Leafs last night. Double <laughs> Crisby shot J, also known as JP. Not and Crosby. Sit- <laughs> and <laughs> sitting on my right, we have the happy death day killer himself, a.k.a. the Boston Brando, D-Nice. D Boogie, D Borgie 86, D Bouge, Dietrich Malone, Punchbag D, the Boston Cream Pie Donut, <laughs> aka 10 out of 10 Derek. What's going on, guys? <laughs> Damn, I didn't realize how many nicknames you had, Derek. I, I didn't know either. Mood just comes up with them all the time. I, 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 think, I think I was just adding in nicknames there. The Boston Cream Pie Donut. <laughs> <laughs> Those are so fucking good, just, though, man. Just making up shit. <laughs> I told you, Punchbug D, Dietrich Malone. <laughs> I make myself laugh. What's going on, guys? Yeah, episode 125. Is that some kind of milestone episode? I don't know. It just sounds like a nice round, yeah, I, I awesome mean, figure. I don't know. It's kind of. Cool. I didn't really think of it that way, but I, I guess you're kind of right. Like 125, 150, 175, 200, stuff like that. I mean, it's hard to believe we're already 25. The episodes removed from episode 100 we say it all the time but man it's crazy and i actually was going to do the <clears> math and and find out what our most productive year in terms of episodes has been mm-hmm. um but it feels like this one but i'm not sure 100 percent sure that is mm-hmm. yeah i have no idea i actually have no idea it just seems like because we're on this like huge streak right now of mm-hmm. continuous shows so i mean that probably has a little bit to do with it but but i mean i think we still have put out i want to say like over 30 episodes this year uh no <laughs> no because it, it would be 98 to now i believe well it's getting it's pretty close it's still pretty close i mean even if we come up short just to under 30 i mean that's still more than one every bi-weekly so pretty good yeah Can't yeah it's really good yeah it's not bad considering we missed like four months yeah no that's shows, so. insane yeah man that is crazy Derek, back on the show jeremy yeah. back off the show 
Yes. yes. It, it, is, it is official. Jeremy is no longer a co-host on the show anymore. Derek is back in full effect. <laughs> At least for this week. Just like, yeah. yeah, it's for this week. For this week. Yeah, I got my own show to run, guys. I'll, this is like my second home, though. Anytime you guys need me, I'm always there. So after oh. the disastrous first uh, launch of the Cinema Attack, I guess you guys are back, right? Yeah, yeah we're back. back. We're actually recording after the show's over, so that's awesome. Do How'd you convince those guys to record after us? <laughs> let's let's oh, hope for an under five-hour one tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we act- it's actually very smooth with uh, Matt and W. It's nothing like too crazy with them, and it's actually really... We we click really well together with those guys. It was actually actually when Brandon and Charlene left and stuff. It was actually Brandon's idea to get Matt and Debbie involved with Cinema Attack, and it works well. It's working well so far, and we're having fun. You know, taking a day if as long as like I said in my fir- in the first review show we did. As long as we get past four episodes, we're golden. You know. <laughs> yeah, I was actually. I was actually uh, unable to listen to you guys yet. I'm super behind on podcasts. I've actually been binge listening to the movie Crypt just because uh, it was a podcast I used to listen to all the time, but then kind of stopped listening to podcasts altogether. And then just recently was like, I need to catch up on all these shows. So I'll just do it one at a time. And since movie Crypt was what I was furthest behind on, I was a full year behind on their episodes and they post weekly. So, um, only like six months back. Did you listen to the movie Crypt where they were talking about that guy from the 22 shots who was like illegally pirating movies and stuff? No, I haven't got to that episode (laughs) yet. I'm sure it's coming up though. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm behind on some podcasts too myself. So I understand that completely. Yeah, I think you guys should get Andy on your show. Yeah, we actually been talking. As, as things go well with scheduling, Andy might be making an appearance here and there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. what do you guys I, got I mean, coming up next? Uh, well, we're re-recording our Santana Cult show because of the aspect of uh, W still learning how to do certain things with the recording, and uh, you know that shit the bed but it's all good in the hood everyone makes mistakes in their first times podcast and gotta, so guys gotta have yeah, that we, dual recording lost, <laughs> yeah i i highly recommend two people record because um i think we lost two episodes for uh from recording um malfunctions I can't remember yeah. What the, yeah i can't I, I can't remember what the second one was i know the first one was um the my Bloody valentine show we did originally yeah 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 uh, but i don't i don't know what the second one was but i know there was another one um that didn't work it was it was shortly after i bought this new recorder courtesy of alex edwards telling me about it but yeah, yeah. two two recordings is the way to go nothing worse than losing a full episode yeah. sad <laughs> yeah it happens but yeah like you said like we're going to keep going and we're going to re-record. And then the week after that, because we're actually doing a show next week, too, we're actually recording the entire Die Hard franchise, which is exciting. That's pretty cool. How nice. many are those of those? Five? Five, yes. Yeah. I've yet to see the fifth one, man. Is it any good? Because I heard it was I actually, kind of ha- I actually haven't seen it yet either, so that's going to be interesting. I only know? like one and three. Yeah, that's pretty... Well, it's been a while since I've seen the first three. I saw four in theaters. Remember, like in the unrated version, a little better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
because it was PG thirteen that it happens, but, but we'll see yeah. what happens when they revisit them. The, the first Die Hard them. is like my favorite action movie. Like if we're discounting uh, war films, then it's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, it's so yeah. good, man. Yeah, such, an, sure. such an awesome flick, man. Then we're actually doing a year in show also, which is exciting. Which leads me into trying to get Andy on the show too with that. Yeah, I suggested that you guys definitely get him on there because he was on our show last year and he got to dump his list. And I feel bad for people who don't get to utilize their list if they actually make one. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. You guys are kind of in the same boat, right? Started recording late in the year and then one of your first episodes is like a year-end show. It's kind of how we started out. Yeah, I believe our fourth or fifth episode was a top 10 of 2013. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, which speaking of, I guess, I guess now would be the... Uh, time to kind of announce this so every year we take submissions for top 10 list of 2017 it'll be this year and you guys send them in and then i tally them up and kind of create a master list out of it so this year i'm making it a little easier on myself uh if you have a top 10 list please send it to 22 shots of moods and horror at gmail.com i want to keep them all in one place because I'm a little bit more busy now than I ever have been and just taking on all the extra projects that I always do. Um, I, I think that I need to have them all in one place this year. It was a, it was a little madness last year with the amount of submissions from like email to PMs to, you know, different, I think that's kind of it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually remember it cause I actually helped you with that aspect mm-hmm. of that too. Yeah. So should please make, just, um, you should actually make that? Jeremy do that. I know, right? I, he'd fuck it up somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably a given. But yeah, uh, so please please send us in your top 10 lists um, starting now. And we will accept them until the... Let's see, the calendar. Um, we'll accept them until Friday the 5th of January. Nice. So you have till Friday the fifth to get your top ten in. Just email it to us, and um, yeah. So please do that. I'm I'm really curious to hear some of you, uh, some people's top ten list this year, because this has been an odd year for you. I mean, it's just everybody I talk to has like different favorites, and everything is just so up in the air, in my opinion. Um. I mean, from films like It Comes at Night, you know, I mean, I imagine that's probably going to be somewhere on your list and where it's not making many other lists, you know, kind of thing, right? There's so mm-hmm. many films like that I've found this year that are on one side of the spectrum, read to the next. Pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So speaking of my list, I'm kind of in a weird situation right now. Like what I want to like, there's films on there that are... I rated a certain way, but now like thinking about it, I have other films that I rated a little lower, but I'm like, I think those movies are better. So I'm like, I'm kind of um, toying with the idea of like manipulating my scores from what I originally gave them. I, the, the appropriate and ideal way to do it would be to do rewatches so that you can clearly get a good understanding of, of where you would rate the film. Um, which I'm going to try to do. So there's like about four or five films that I feel I might have rated too high and about four or five films that I th- feel like I've rated a little too low. So I don't know if I'll be able to rewatch all of them, but I definitely might manipulate some some points there. It's ma- mainly towards the bottom of the list, 
um, mainly, not exclusively, but mainly towards the you know eight, nine, ten spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have like films in the 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 spot that I feel like sh- might deserve to be on my list more than the other films. So I'm kind of like I'm kind of stressing about my list a little bit this year. This this year has been the most competitive for me. Uh, my top 10 um, mathematically is the greatest top 10 I've ever done. Um, so that's pretty crazy considering a lot of people are a little lower on this year. Um, I think overall, if I would take all of my, my like let's say the top 50 films I watched this year and the top 50 of last year, mathematically last year would have more points, so would 2015. But towards the top end of my list this year, I think that is stronger than the previous years. So like the actual 10 to like 10 or 15 films, I think is the strongest year that I've been a part of doing this. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you would space the list out to like 50, I think the other two years are, are stronger overall. This year has got to mm. be the weakest I've, you know, since 2013, hands down. I mean, I got like eights in my list here <laughs> in my well, top I, 10. I've right had now. eights in my top 10 every year, except for this year. Really? Yeah. I mean, the last yeah. couple of years, I mean, they've been really competitive with a lot of, you know, nines and shit like that. And, but yeah, this year, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just not <laughs> floating my boat. Yeah. My it's horror so weird. Looks- I feel like yeah. I'm, almost like the opposite on you guys all the time because like last year i was very low on the year until like the final stretch when i started watching a lot of movies i had missed and i, I got last so year many, was like, very consistent 8.5s yeah i thought last year was very consistent right from the get-go i mean every year starts out a little bit slower because that's just the way it is but mm-hmm. i felt like it had a nice little consistency throughout the whole year and i never really got bored of the year and then two years ago i thought it was just phenomenal like 2015 was a great ass year I think um, by, in terms of pure um, quality throughout, I think 2015 is the strongest year, personally. Um, yeah, even though insane. you know, I I started with eights at 20, 2015. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. Like I look at my list now, and I feel like a lot of the films on my list wouldn't have made it though, because I've seen other films since then. Like I don't yeah. think the Green Inferno would have made my list. If I did a, a reevaluation, I, I still can't believe to this day that movie actually made your list. It's crazy. Yeah, it's weird. Because remember, I, weird. I I was even like, man, that's crazy. Like, because I mean, mm. it wasn't that popular for you know a top ten list from that year, and it's yeah. just you know just being the type of film too. I was it was kind of a shock, mm-hmm. there, but like tw- twenty fourteen, you started with nines, <laughs> so like that was a really strong year for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I started with eights on that year. I think twenty thirteen. Uh, I started with sevens. No, I started with eights. Holy eights. shit, yeah. Jeremy started with a 6.5. <laughs> you started with an 8.5, but then you, you, you started with an 8.5 and then had three eights after that. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, 2013. Sure. I mean, that was probably the least amount of films that we watched. I mean, 2013 oh, yeah. wasn't. I, overly... I think I had like 20 or something. You know, I just watched the like top most pop. I, I mean, I did it too. My list is messed up. I have number six is an 8.5, and then number five and four is an eight. Was that, <laughs> and and was, three. Was that you guys' first like year of doing that too? I did it in 2012, but I I probably only watched 10 10 or 10 or 15 movies for 2012. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think I, I compiled the list too. I don't channel. know. I don't know where I did it or what, how I did it. But yeah, I mean, but 13- if you look now, we have eight top ten lists on the website that we've done. 
So we did 68, 86, 96, 2002, 2013, 14, 15, and 16, and we're about to add a ninth with 2017, which is so cool. Like, I just think it's one of the 2016 was a fun list for me because I was just getting hammered during the end of it, like swearing and slurring my words and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way those list shows should be. Those are usually how they go. 2015 was like that big time. Actually, technically, there'll be a tenth one, too, because we still have the 76 show to do. Yeah, which will be a little later in 2018, but I was hoping to get two of them done in 2018. We'll see how that goes. It's kind of reliant upon exploding heads at this at, at this point because I know they wanted to take a, a little break and yeah. kind of slow down a little bit. Um, so w- I, I feel like that won't last super long because um, one of the biggest things that I told Brandon that I've noticed from doing podcasting so long is you get really overwhelmed kind of like – um, just burn out and then you take a break and by like week two and a half you're just like dude I can't wait to get back you know like you miss it so much so you know this will be their first like break I think they said they're taking most of January off so um, we'll see how they feel afterwards it gives me a chance to hit the 10 spot yes <laughs> hit, oh the top 10 yeah. <laughs> I opened up the door for a few shows to, to actually get in there really <laughs> oh, another thing I want to shout out because I think a lot of people kind of miss this. We released our first commentary. Um, it was the Hip Hop Witch, and I played a little bit of it at work just to show some coworkers like w- what I did. And like, dude, they were they were laughing. Like, so I think it actually is kind of funny. It was miserable for us, but I actually think it is it is a pretty damn funny um commentary and it's a video so you watch the movie with us it's on horophilia.com i recommend instead of downloading just stream it from like a desktop just hit play you know what i mean mm-hmm. that's what uh, i did i could stream it from my phone also some people said they were having issues with that um it is a big file so it, it might be if you're on if you're on like your actual like in, uh, your actual um like 4g's or whatever it might be a little laggy but if you're on like wi-fi you should you should be cool. So um, definitely, definitely, please check that out because, like, I thought it was a cool little project that we did that I feel like a lot of people missed. Mm-hmm. I watched it four times. <laughs> That's insane, <laughs> man. Funniest thing you guys ever did. Dude, the best part of that whole thing is when when Jeremy's like, and they still this fucking car? Oh, dude, I was dying. No, there's some random parts of Jeremy in it, too. Like, one random part that he did was like, I wish that I, a white naked dude would just run by right now. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> random. Yeah. Uh, so fuck. check that out, guys. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was all right to do. I mean, honestly, like doing commentary is not my favorite thing in the world to do. But yeah. I mean, I had it was fun. Our first, it was our first one. I think I think we definitely have some room for improvement. But I, I truly do think that you know we could do we could do a much better job. And and I'm not saying this one's bad either. But I'm saying like. We went. That was a blind commentary, right? We went in yeah, without yeah. ever seeing the movie. If we did a movie we'd seen, like Children of the Corn Five or something, you know, it'd be it'd be <laughs> a little bit more um, easy, I guess. Oh yeah, for sure, man, man. But I got that is legitimately one of the shittiest films ever. Like it was a good first one to do, even though we hadn't seen it before because it was so bad that mm-hmm. all we could do was just poke fun at it the entire time. Like it's, oh, yeah. it's it's basically not even a movie. <laughs> it's that fucking. Bad, it really man. isn't. It's like the least movie we've ever seen, and we've watched Howling Seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just just wait, just wait till next week, JP, when you uh, when you review Slaughter Claws. <laughs> oh man, you thought the hip hop witch was bad. 
a fucking masterpiece compared to that. Dude, <laughs> that's insane. I can't even. I can't even believe that. Like, yo, you are gonna. Oh, you're gonna pat me on the back, man. Who <sighs> gave you that movie? Mm. I can tell you in a minute. I don't know actually, but yeah, it's um, it's it's yeah. on a whole different level of I shitty. Think, it one. might have been Matt Janowski because he was pushing that like one year when you guys had it on the poll. It might have been. Man, it probably was. I think Slaughter Claws would even be hard to do as a commentary because it's it's that bad. Ah <laughs> 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 oh, shit! I can't wait for you to watch it, man. Jeez. It was Matt Jan- Janikowski. <laughs> Nice, I'm good at that shit. <laughs> Fucking awesome, awesome shit. <laughs> Damn. But yeah, man, so Christmas special coming up next week, and then we are on an official wow. two-week break. Yeah, It well, I mean, next, so that episode will post on the 20th, and you won't get another one till the, I believe, 10th. So it's, pro- it's more like three weeks until yeah. they hear another episode, but... Uh, yeah, I'm really excited for that break. Uh, we're going to go really, really hard on 2017 watches. Uh, I, I mean, I feel like I've seen a ton, but I probably have a good 20 films to watch still. Uh, so that should be fun. Is there any big ones that you still haven't seen, guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if they're bi- I mean, I still haven't seen Mother. Okay, um, that's probably one of the bigger ones. I wanted to check out like the tunnel. It sounded pretty cool when you guys talked about it, like the lore. Mm-hmm. That one sounded pretty cool. I, I don't know if these ones are like, you know, you know, I need to watch them or not. I mean, the Berlin Syndrome, I heard that was pretty cool. I don't know. I think I've seen the majority of the films. I have been doing a little bit of Googling and checking out lists and things like that. And I've seen most of the films, you know, mm-hmm. so with the exception of these ones, um, I'm still confused on I need uh, I am a hero. If that's eligible for this year or if it's not eligible. Moo's got to watch the one I told him to watch. Yeah, I just don't know if I'm a hero is eligible or what the story is with that because um, you haven't fi- asked me. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been because I've been I've seen it. I, I saw it on one list already, and I saw mm-hmm. a guy talking about it in a video, and he's like, "Yeah, he's like, I don't give a fuck." He's like, "This one is being counted for 2017, but it's it's kind of got a weird history because it came out in 2015, played in the festivals, and never really got like a wide wide release, but it was still playing in festivals in 16 and 17, but it has a fucking Blu-ray release. So that's the weird thing. When did it get a Blu-ray release? This year. In 2017, but it was still playing in like random countries and film festivals. And I think it did get a theatrical. I'm not sure how wide it was, but it's very confusing when you read the history of the release. So, mm-hmm. but, I, but I'm like, what it all comes down to, it actually has a Blu ray release. Um, so, which you can get on Amazon.com, but I got to see it though. Like, I mean, I've been hearing nothing but crazy, awesome things. So, so maybe look so far, I, I'm not seeing anything that says that it was released in. Um, in 2016, like I see that it was had a release for uh, festivals. Yeah, yeah, festivals. Yeah, in 15 in and 16. 2015, um, for the most part, and it made it its debut in Japan in 2016. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't see it here for like any type of VOD or anything. So it definitely could be. Uh, I'll look further into it. Um after we get off air but it seems it seems all signs point to a 2017 release so yeah that's i was kind of leaning towards too it just has a weird history mm-hmm. considering you know it was like 2015 and i don't know if we're gonna start 
incorporating like a statute of limitations on films, you know, or, or else the fucking the intruder from '76 or whatever is eligible for this year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just I, ma- man, just I made its know. way I, to uh, just made its way to media this year. You know, first time. <laughs> I would say that whatever all the boys love Mandy Lane is. Yeah. That is probably the statute of limitations like anything before that gap because that was like a true like that because you need evidence on like on like a a circumstance like a situation to kind of put a cap on something and i think that's probably the best example of a film because that was made years before it was released and it had no release um Mm -hmm. so i'll I'll look into that and see what that one was and maybe we'll go with that (laughs) yeah it was like something like what six years or something or seven years or some shit like that uh it's a long time yeah so it, it initially was okay it was initially released in 2006 at a toronto film festival um and then it didn't get its like official release until 2009 so oh that's a lot I mean, yeah that's not too bad not too bad oh wait never mind never mind it was 2013 <laughs> that's when it got its so that's when it got so it was forwards. seven years yeah yeah, Damn. so that, that is so pretty much probably like I'd probably say ten years, seven ten years somewhere around there. So basically, <laughs> a, 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 if you know, if, you know, within a decade. <laughs> yeah, we, we're very very like picky on our rules, um, and we weren't in like the first two years, and actually like there's a few like that even our 2002 show. We, we messed up with the frailty like that's a 2001 film so um since then i've tried to really tighten it up you know what i mean mm. and really try to try to pinpoint like our, our roles and and make it just as consistent as possible yeah that, that was a weird one because every list i've ever seen that movie on is like on a 2002 list mm-hmm. so that that was kind of a an interesting yeah, one but weird it's kind of a tough one to leave off though right i mean especially in a year like 2002 you leave off that film and it's like well what do you got the so ring would have been number one so would feed the light be technically this year too since it was like it was just scandinavian film and it came out this year i haven't listed in my 2017 watches as as a 2017 release but i think so i mean it, okay, it, I was, now i gotta look again because I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, man. Yeah, because it came out or it had film festival in what? Yeah, 14? it had a film festival. Yeah, fourteen. Yeah, in fourteen. Yeah, it I- seems like it only had uh, one film festival release in 2014, and then it just so, made its way right to Blu-ray in 2017. So technically, I mean, that's the 2017 release, right? Uh, is just based on my quick little research. Yes, I think the same same thing goes for Bag Boy, Lover Boy. Yes. Which I think yes. is like 2015 film, but it got its. It didn't get. It only had festival circuit bef- before it's kind, it's 2015. Kind of like a, yeah, it's kind of like a mask situation. <laughs> I mean, the way my top ten is right now, <clears throat> if I was to do my top ten by rankings, that movie would actually be in my top ten right now. <laughs> Bag Boy, Lover Boy. <laughs> I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> yeah, it's just honestly, it's just interesting because I, I rated like eight out of ten. Right, and it's in my top ten. That's blowing my mind right now. Yeah, it might be in mine too. It just depends on like my ranking of. Uh, I gotta rank some films and rewatch some stuff too. I gotta rewatch Feed the Light actually. 
I kind of watched it one night, and I was like in and out of it and stuff. And but yeah, that, that one took me a few watches, but like was the third time I watched it, and that was the third time I did when I did my review. I loved it. Yeah, it's a short mm. enough film though to do that. I mean, it, yeah. it only runs like seventy five minutes or something like that. So it's definitely. But uh, yeah, I was I keep getting I kept getting sidetracked, and that one's one you have to kind of pay attention to. So I was yeah. going like, what the fuck is going on here? So, but um, yeah, I don't know. Gonna definitely rewatch that one and get to these other fucking films, man. Yeah, oh. you gotta watch Tag Moods. I know that's another one that's actually on my list. That was the next one I was actually gonna lay. Um, I haven't even heard of that one. So Tag I and I add that to my list too. Which uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a well, it's a. Sonny Sono film, JP. If you never heard, he directed like Suicide Club. Did you ever hear of that film? Nope. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, it's an Asian film, so it might be like maybe a little out there for you. Yep, probably won't make the list. I ain't even watching it. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy, dude. Sign Son, he's like one of the best filmmakers out there right now, man. Yeah, this he's guy, like the Dario Argento of Japan. Yeah, he's really legitimately good, man. Like all his film, yeah, he's an excellent filmmaker crazy so yeah that that's exciting gotta check that one out too i mean i I, to be fair i had two asian films on my list last year two i I think i had like four or five or some crazy thing man i haven't seen a lot of asian films this year um has there been lots like i mean i I know there was nothing really in the horror you you had two as well okay yeah i know know my number one was but the the same two yeah not really for the horror aspect of like there's a lot of like well because I've been watching a lot of non-Asian stuff too for our year and show <laughs> for like uh, that aspect and there's some pretty good ones that yeah. I'll recommend to you if you guys want to check out some non-horror Asian stuff nope oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's awesome <laughs> alright man let's uh, let's move this along here um Let's get into some news. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. All right. So uh, news-wise, um... Little little lighter this week. I, I would expect it to be light for the rest of the year. Just some announcements. Uh, Bloody Disgusting put out a little article that I thought was pretty cool. Um, they said it was the worst summer movie season in a decade. But horror fa- fans aren't sweating it. Our genre killed it in 2017. Uh, two films continue to hit milestones, collectively nearing $800 million worldwide. So it... On a six million dollar budget, is about to hit seven hundred million worldwide. <laughs> so I, I would, Damn. I, I would say that's a pretty good success. Holy fuck! Uh, yep, and even this film, which is a I complete shock when I read this, I was like, "What the hell?" Considered to be um, a a bad entry in the, the 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 franchise, which I didn't think so, but a lot of people people uh, critically did uh, Saw is actually close to topping 100 million worldwide so Jigsaw 100 million 
worldwide. Man, so I, you know, so could that potentially be a saw? What nine? Yeah, I mean, you know, it doesn't it doesn't fully surprise me that it did that well because mm-hmm. it is part of the saw franchise. I mean, relatively speaking, I mean, every saw film is done well you know it's made they've all made money yeah saw 3d only made 40 million worldwide though yeah i mean but the point i mean they've all not lost money i mean they've done pretty well for themselves but this one's a little bit overachieving in my opinion considering the quality of the film like i didn't care for it that much i thought it was pretty much maybe the second weakest in the whole franchise but Mm -hmm. to be doing those numbers is crazy yeah, I mean, there was a lot of reviews. There was a lot of people moaning and groaning about it and stuff, and people just continuously went and seen it because it's part of the Saw franchise. The power of the franchise films, right? Mm-hmm. I was surprised that, to hear that, though, because um, I just didn't see, think that there would be that much interest in Saw still, but apparently I was wrong on that one. Uh, if you include Split, Get Out, Annabelle Creation, and other genre films, horror could pretty much top over $2 billion this year, which... <laughs> is amazing yeah and you know it's almost too bad that like you know mancini didn't put out uh you know cult of chucky and you know in the cinema you know it almost seems like you know that would have been probably a film that made money in the cinema i bet just considering how popular horror has been with theatrical releases this year i think it probably would have done pretty well i wonder if he's kicking himself on that just i don't think it's up to him i think that's a universal call right there yeah, or even Universal. I mean, the wigs over at uh, Universal. I mean, just considering all things, you know, these movies that are completely, I would say, a little bit overachieving, um, you know, and and being from a beloved franchise like Child's Play, you know, you think that movie would have done pretty well, considering all circumstances this summer. Um, I wouldn't, mm. be, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the next Child's Play film gets a theatrical release. To be honest. Yeah, I I mean, they would need to put a little... I, I think they would want to put a little bit more money into it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how bad the leak hurt it, you know, if it was still considered a pretty big success. Because, you know, w- with Curse yeah. of Chucky, they were talking that it was a, a huge success. But we'll, we'll have to see how that goes. I mean, um, it, it kind of shows... It, it, I mean, it showcases itself, though. I mean, like, when there's that much, that much interest... I mean, we all know that, like, bootlegging and, and the leaks and stuff do hurt, you know, the overall sales and things like that. But, I mean, you can look at it as a good and bad thing, though, too, because when films get leaked and people are actually, you know, excited for it and they're actually checking it out and stuff like that, it's showing a lot of interest in it, too, right? I mean, films get yeah, leaked. Yeah, definitely. I, I think there's always going to be interest in Child's Play, for sure. Yeah. Uh, personally, I think that the last two did feel like direct-to-video films. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they if they were to put it out in a the theater, I think they would need to pump up the budget a little bit. And honestly, I don't know if they would keep the continuity. Like I feel like that's more of like a remake idea there. Um, yeah, maybe. just just speaking from a studio yeah. point of view. If it's um, going to be a theatrical one, they have to like take it out of like that because the for the last two were like in this contained setting. So you know, for some be- reason studios feel that if it has been five or, or six years or, or something since a film like they feel like nobody will remember it and they have to reboot it like look at look at all the franchises right like the ones that do stay theatrical it's like like texas chainsaw 3d like you know the yeah. like you had those two awesome you know remake and prequel and then so many years had passed they're like oh well we can't do another one of those which might be true, but I, I, I tend to want to believe that p- 
people wouldn't really have a problem with a sequel. No, th- um, that mentality is bullshit, in my opinion. I mean, they just, I mean, that just got discredited by you know even Jigsaw coming out. I mean, it's technically another but, but another sequel. It, though, and it did it's, really well. It's not a. It, that's the thing that people were complaining about that it was they didn't really keep a ton of continuity from the previous films. They kind of just did a new Jigsaw story. Yeah. Um, so they, they, I, they probably even feared that, which is sucky mm-hmm. because that's why you get stuff like that. I don't know, man. It's, yeah. it's, it's up in the air with me. I, I, I mean, know. we'll know if, I mean, this whole conversation is discredited when the Howling puts out a new, uh, theatrical film and that's, not, <laughs> that's, that's not a remake. Yeah. <laughs> the Howling fucking 10. <laughs> D Wallace is back somehow. <laughs> fucking, fucking horror's doing so well, man. The new witchcraft movie part 19 theatrical mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> fuck oh christ all right all right so um just a little update it's not like a huge bit of news or anything but apparently um the director cameron romero george a. romero's son uh has announced that he is casting for rise of the living dead uh which is going to be like a prequel i guess to the um famed night of the living dead directed by his father uh so yeah um i already heard that nicholas cage is already standing in line <laughs> that's funny not the zombies <laughs> man i really hope this movie turns out to be good you know it's just it's one of those things where i just don't want it to fail like i don't want it to be shitty i just feel like that would suck major floppy donkey cocks yep right i agree with that i, I just yeah. feel like this is a, it's almost like it you're kind of treading in in you know shark infested waters with this idea man like uh i don't know let's hope let's hope for the best with that one yeah i hope it does good you know what i mean or it is good you know what i, I mean I, I don't really care about the actual success i just hope the film is good right? yeah exactly like you wanted to enjoy it because it's george's son and he's trying to regain his like father's legacy with like his franchise and stuff yeah i can already see the the criticism right now you know he's, he's not he's not his dad he's not his dad you know <laughs> oh fuck you know? yeah after that uh we have the announcement for um it's pretty funny because like i've noticed that 2018 seems to be um pretty big for releases right early on like there's already like four or five films i'm interested in checking out in january which is pretty crazy like killing of a sacred deer uh i think day of the dead bloodline comes out then uh which was news but i didn't i don't think i i don't know if i got that last week which is actually interesting in itself though because that many movies coming out in january generally you you maybe see one you know all month kind of thing it's like such a slow um, month usually insidious chapter four is january that's crazy uh and also uh this film here got announced um the uh it's coming to vod in january that is the remake of inside uh screenplay was written by the guy who did wreck (laughs) oh Mm -hmm. man american remake of inside i don't know is Mm -hmm. it going to be just a, a downplayed version like the martyrs remake was it's so funny to lump those together, right? Because those films have been synonymous with each other for so long, being uh, French extreme uh, films, um, the Fab Five, if you will, uh, part of that. And then they both have remakes within like a year of each other. And 
uh, the, the Martyrs remake was like tame as it was like literally the same movie but just tame. Yeah. So it, it's like it, it literally played into all the stereotypes of why you don't re- remake um, foreign films for American audiences. Yep. Like, because I've always been like not opposed to it, and uh, that film like totally <laughs> just just completely uh, played into the oh the typical uh, stereotype. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. It did definitely. I mean, and we pre- and we called that too, didn't we? Yeah, I, I'm pretty yeah. sure we even said right on the show. I'm like, you know, I have a feeling this Martyrs remake is going to be, you know, kind of a shot for shot remake, but just downplayed, and it's exactly what it turned out to be. So, I, I mean, I'm expecting the same thing with Inside. I can't imagine them going all hardcore extreme, or maybe, maybe they they took a look at uh, what happened with the Martyrs remake and they said, well, fuck, man, we can't downplay this shit, man. We gotta, we gotta, mm-hmm. you know, we gotta fight for you know making this thing a little bit more extreme yeah you know i don't know we'll see um what was really silly is wasn't the martyrs remake done by blumhouse too i think it was i think so yeah pretty sure. I, I feel like blumhouse really really kind of they kind of know they have the, they have their ear to the ground very well and i i feel like that film got like such a poor release because they knew that it wasn't going to be a hit um, mm-hmm. and they kind of just dropped it on there and, and I've seen them do that with other films too. So like, I think they kind of, they kind of take the, when, w- if they make a bad movie, I feel like they take the route where, um, they don't put that much effort and money into promoting it. If, it, if they don't feel it's good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Of course. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a fan of Blumhouse, uh, that I'm not a fan of. That movie was, was pretty trash. Yeah, it was. Uh, but yeah, on, good. Yeah. No, I was going to say, like, I did enjoy the aspects of, like, the first act of it, but then when it got into, like, the other second and third acts, it kind of takes, like, a different shift that the original modders had that this one didn't have. You say it takes a different shift? No, it it took a different shit. Yeah, Essentially. (laughs) It just just took a fucking steamy shit, man, in the second half of that one. Fuck. Yeah. So, after that, we have uh, a... There's... An announcement made last week that um, announced the Pet Cemetery remake, and now we have a scheduled release date for that film. It is April nineteenth, two thousand nineteen, from Paramount. Uh, so it, it seems like Stephen King adaptations are in again with the with the three fantastic rele- releases we saw this year. Uh, from from adaptations, it seems like everybody who has Stephen King properties is like, uh oh, like let's let's jump on board this King train, which I believe nineteen is also the scheduled release date for it. So um, pretty pretty uh, strategic planning of release date for Pet Cemetery. I don't mm-hmm. really know what you do with Pet Cemetery. Um, I feel like the only way you can make it more successful is if you made it darker, uh, because. I think the original Pet Cemetery is one. It's a really good adaptation in terms of like following the book, and two, it it's pretty damn solid movie. So like, I don't know what you could really improve on. Like, just you know, thinking about our review of the Pet Cemetery one and two films that we did, what could you really improve on with Pet Cemetery? Mm. I don't know. Why don't we Why don't we flip the script here? You know, like all these, you know, American. Uh, Americans remaking, you know, European films and stuff. How about we let someone in Europe remake this film, and maybe they'll get it right. 
right? Make it all extreme and shit like that. That would be kind of, you know, when you flip the whole thing, that's kind of interesting. Like the Norwegians, they go and remake Pet Cemetery, and it's just fucking batshit crazy. I'd like to see that because, shit, man. Because um, they don't own it, <laughs> I think. I think that would be. You, you mean like bring in a Norwegian director? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know how like, you know, Americans are just constantly remaking European films. Like we're picking up the rights to all these things and remaking them and stuff. Uh-huh. Just just flip that script and have like a European say like it's some German you know in Germany they remake fucking Pet Cemetery. No, I mean, you could probably I don't, work- want, I don't want Germany to remake Pet Cemetery. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I, I don't really like German films that much. I guess I haven't been too. I don't. I, for one, I don't like German, the, the way the German language sounds. So. Um, it's well, like really I mean, gross was, sounding to me. It was just an example. I was, you know, I mean, Scandinavia, like who, like Norway or something like that. They go and remake pets. I, I think that would be really intriguing. I'd like to see. It, it would just never work. Like, how would that work? Like you, like, like they're American owned films. So some studio would have to auction the rights in there to get. Well, it works the same way as, you know, the Americans remaking these European films. Yeah, but we we typically have studios with like a lot of money, while they don't. <laughs> well, it's not entirely true. I mean, there's definitely studios that could probably afford to to do something like that. But it's just it's interesting when you really think about it that it just never happens that way. Like European I think countries, I've, I think are there never- was only like one film that I've ever seen that happen to. It was one of the art exploitation releases. Um, oh, what the hell was it called? It was like Relentless. Uh, Reckless. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, the, Reckless. Yeah, Reckless. That was a uh, what was the original film called? The, UK. the disappearance of Alice Creed. Yeah, which was an American film, right? <laughs> I think it was a British. Yeah, it was a it was a British film. Yeah. Hmm. So, but yeah, it doesn't happen very often, right? Where these no, foreign countries remake American films and stuff. But I, I think it'd be, I mean, obviously, I'm just tossing shit ideas out there, but. Yeah. I think it would be intriguing, man, to to have something like Pet Cemetery, a well-known film done by like a foreign country, to pick up the rights to it and and see what they could do with it. You know, who knows? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's yeah. it's, got, it's kind of an intriguing idea. But well, the thing that I think they like, what they would do is like make like the atmospheric like shots of like a with like like you were saying moves with the foreign country, like maybe like make like this awesome like so, so would you set this film also like in that country like would it be like a complete overhaul because we know like pet cemetery is like set in maine and it's like like with the trucking route and stuff like that so would would it be like a complete like cultural adaptation as well i th- you know, honestly if i was to say either way i i would think yeah you know, set it out in the country in, in you know, say in Norway or something like that. It basically the same kind of, kind of setting, but it's actually, you know, set in Norway. Yeah, I don't know why they they should get on doing that. <laughs> I that would, don't know uh, why they don't. It would actually be kind of in, interesting to watch a film like that. It'd be kind of cool. I mean, it, yeah, it would, be, it would be cool. Like it could work, but yeah. So uh, after that, we have a um announcement for the director who's going to be handling scary stories to tell in the dark um we have andre of the norwegian filmmaker behind uh troll hunter and the autopsy of jane doe that's oh, just, really that's just so strange you know i was just talking yeah. about norwegian, norwegian. Uh-huh. <laughs> random yep. love troll hunter man that shit's awesome i loved autopsy of jane doe yeah i, I love too. both I haven't seen Troll Hunter, so I can't comment on really? it. Really? I, wow. I think that I, it looked pretty good. So, 
uh, after that, what do we got here? Um, Scream Factory announced uh, a few things. Um, they announced some more steelbooks from uh, John Carpenter films. So you got Assault on Precinct 13 as well as Prince of Darkness, uh, limited to 10,000 uh, copies. And these are just repackages um, of their original Scream Factory releases, but this time with steelbooks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just really not interested whatsoever. You know what? I actually am going to give them credit to how they released the other ones. Like, they released The Fog, They Live, and what was the other one? Uh, fuck. Oh, Escape from New York. Yeah. Escape from New York. Yeah. Uh, on, on Stillbook, in Stillbooks. And I thought it was pretty cool because they were about like 13 bucks at Best Buy. I thought that was a very fair price. And, um, hey, if you really like those Carpenter films, like you have an option to get one of your favorite films in kind of a cool special edition. Um, and I didn't buy any of them, but I considered it. I considered picking up The Fog and They Live because yeah, I, I, I really like They Live. Um, and I just thought, I thought it was a kind of a neat way to release those films again and not not in like a ridiculous like $35 exclusive to shoutfactory.com type release oh yeah fuck. it seemed fair it seemed fair so. i never really thought twice but i thought the fog one had pretty decent artwork on it but i wasn't overly a big fan of them of the artworks they didn't they didn't really kind of they didn't jump out at me you know and mm-hmm. same with this one like assault in precinct 13 i was like Oh it, really? It, I love the assault artwork. I don't know, man. It was okay, I guess. I, I it, again, it just wasn't great. But I, you know, the thing is, though, it's not intriguing me because I, I, I don't collect steel books. Yeah. I already have those movies, like the the other editions. So it's like the fuck, you know. Well, you know, one person was picking that up. Zach. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The guy that owns like fucking forty five copies. <laughs> uh, so after that, we have a announcement that Deep Blue Sea. Will hit DVD and Blu-ray in 2018. Man, that's so awesome, man! Are they going to get uh, Cool J back? Probably not. <laughs> I think it's a little bit lower of a budget. <laughs> well, fuck, man! I mean, he's a he's you know a rock and roll Hall of Fame inductee, man. You know, you can't, um, you can't get that. Guy. I actually time. really like Deep Blue Sea. It's probably, in my opinion, one of the best shark films made. Um, obviously that the king of those films is jaws but when i think of like good shark films like that list is not very jam-packed <laughs> no there isn't that many great shark films there's mm-hmm. a lot of fun ones you know yeah but i think uh i think i think that uh good old uh deep blue sea is pretty fun honestly yeah it is you know like, i've always like it's so weird i don't even own that film have a lot of Me shark films. I don't even. I don't know either. I don't know that movie. Like it, it's it's almost like a giant B movie. Like they put yeah. a bunch of money into this movie and just made a B shark movie out of it. Which I thought. I mean, I've always liked it. It's you know, it's yeah, not it's amazing. The anything, fucking but it's shark ate him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Deep Blue Sea too. That's the thing. Uh, finally, for the news here, we have uh, The Burbs is headed to Blu-ray, not courtesy of Scream, Fact- Scream Factory. Actually, it's part of the Shout Select line, which is okay. so just silly. The Shout Select <laughs> line, all they do is just like re-release films that have already been released on Blu-ray multiple times, it seems like. The Burbs? Yeah, man. The Burbs Who is released that? 
Um, it had a universal. Yeah, it was, it was just a. Standard. Yeah, but that was bare bones. Yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm just saying. You know, I mean, what? Well, how many? Like, what's the special feature lineup on this? Is it like just? Uh, they didn't. They didn't announce the special features yet. Yeah, because I mean, they'll show it select, one, and they're they're not really that overly packed. I mean, I have the Arrow release of it, and it's got some pretty good feature, features on it. So not really. They the only thing they said is that it will be packed with bonus features. <laughs> That's an actual quote from them. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna port all over. They're gonna the Arrow ones probably. <laughs> yeah. Fucking thing sucks. So, um, with it, with that, it for the news. I kind of wanted to throw this out there. I forgot I had this posted, but I uh, this I guess is a little bit of a mini knowledge segment. But uh, basically, Bloody Disgusting posted this article: ten horror sequels better than the original that, from uh, Megan Navarro. And I just wanted to kind of I didn't even look at it yet, but I kind of wanted to. I've made one uh, of these lists before. Yeah, me too. Um, but let's let's read Navar- uh, Megan Navarra's list. So um, she says, hi, more Megan. often, <laughs> hi Megan. Hey Megan. <laughs> Since Bloody Disgusting likes to steal from us so much, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but we actually give credit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, more often than not, sequels get a bad rap. It's understandable. It's not so often that one comes close to touching what the original. Uh, what made the original so special with this year's release of called chucky came a reminder though that sometimes sequels often allow franchise to take bold new directions after six films in the series call of chucky finally took the opportunity to explore a long time goal of chucky's and it opened up an insane world of possibilities already i disagree with this chick <laughs> uh the year also brought a sequel to annabelle while more accurately a prequel even still the margin by which uh, surpassed its predecessor was pretty large it's not the first time either that a sequel managed to be superior to the original so i now she now i'm back on board with her so so first she let me down now i'm back on board with her take amityville to the possession as also sort of a prequel sequel celebrating its 35th anniversary this year in celebration of a worthy horror sequel let's visit 10 horror sequels that managed to be better than the original so mm-hmm. um i agree with two of the three that she mentioned well, she didn't really say that Call of Chucky was better. She just said that it kind of was. That's interesting. Th- th- I mean, even to bring that up in like your prologue to your article, that's like, like the first film she mentioned. <laughs> I know it's so like who would ever think that Call of Chucky is better than the original film? I don't. Well, I don't think there's a lot of people out there. That I hope would. nobody. I seriously hope nobody. That's just a weird seriously. example to use, man. It's so strange. I agree with the other. I mean, I can't agree with the Annabelle one. I haven't seen Creation yet, but 100 um, percent on board with uh, Amityville Two. I love that. Mm-hmm. Film. I think that's a fantastic. Um, that's a fantastic choice. And actually, I, that was even on my list. That yeah, mine too. Yeah. So. So, uh, okay, uh, first up, number 10, we have Origins of Evil yes. for uh, a Ouija. I agree. So, I agree. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen this one. She said I this one is pretty one much it's actually, given considering good. It's pretty good. It's actually pretty good, man, considering the first one was very lackluster, very cliche, very almost boring. The, the, the sequel, prequel, I guess, whatever you want to call it, it's good. Yeah, I, I mean, I. It. I, I assumed it would be better since it's flying again, but she even points that out. She's like, uh, but with so which such a poorly received film, how do you turn it around? You hire Mike Flanagan 
for one, and then you further distance the film from the original by setting it in a time period decades removed from the previous setting. (laughs) So, okay, I agree. Uh, The Purge Anarchy, coming in at number nine, um, which I also agree is the best in the Purge series. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I think I stated before, you know, the Purge films seem to be getting better as they go along. Yeah, which is good. I mean, they're still not great. They're no. still not. They're still not like ten. Uh, they're still not top ten material, but they are getting better. So hopefully, Purge Four will not disappoint as well. Purge Four uh, after on a boat. <laughs> but how did they get to that island? You might ask. <laughs> they, they, they asked Trent Williams. Yeah. Uh, okay. So here we have Paranormal Activity three, which I can't comment on because I have not seen it. But it seems to be uh, a lot of fans do think that the third one is the best in the series. So um, yeah, yeah, that that definitely is the consensus. I haven't seen it either, so can't mm-hmm. comment. Yeah. Here's the first one I'll disagree with: uh, Hostel Part two. Oh, <laughs> I highly disagree with that. Yeah. So here's what she had to say about Hostel Part 2. There's a lot to like about Eli Roth's Hostel, the visuals, the brutality, and the social critique embedded in the narrative makes for a worthwhile horror film on paper. But if you're like me, you probably couldn't stand any of the main characters, and Roth made you spend quite a while with them before dispatching them in gruesome ways. Which is why Hostel Part 2 is so much better. Bigger budget, a tightened up script, and a better execution, and buckets more blood. Most importantly, these characters were empathetic, Lord Germ... Lauren German's Paxton was far more interesting than Jay Hernandez's Paxton as the lead pr- protagonist. Hmm. See, uh, see, I'm like the complete and polar opposite. I mean, we just talked about this last week, but I even mentioned that too, that I like the characters a lot more in part one because I think they're oh, a little so bit more I. fun. And I, I think the ones in part two are a little bit more bland, forgettable. Yeah, maybe they're a little... I mean, you could still, you know... Do you think this is because... Do you think this is because she's a female writing about female characters, though? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, good, I mean, it could be, point. but also, I, I think that also, typically, I think why those type of characters don't resonate with horror fans is because, you know, typically horror fans are pretty nerdy people, and those yeah. people are considered, like, the cool people who probably did not have great experiences with you know like that <laughs> those type of frat boys like yeah. me personally i always got along with people like that um but i've also always got along with the nerdy people i get along with everybody even if they are obnoxious you know yeah. i can still get along with them because uh i'm a little bit obnoxious too <laughs> yeah so not as obnoxious. characters like ollie man like i have friends like that yeah, Ollie's cool as shit, right? Like, you know? he's just a lunatic. Like, you yeah. just know that if you're around Ollie, you're probably going to see some balls. You're probably going to see some ash cheeks. You're probably going to hear some crazy outlandish stuff, and you're going to have a ton of fun laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, we exactly. used to have this running joke in my circle of friends. It's, it's so ridiculous, but, like, be like, oh, man, this party's getting nut. And you like your nut would be like hanging out the bottom of your shorts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've had friends who, who, you know, like waiting where they, like. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All my friends used to do that after seeing waiting. I know, man. (laughs) I know. Definitely see my friends' balls entirely way too much in my life, man. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Um, (laughs) After that, uh, this one I can agree with. Uh, We have The Woman, which is a sequel to 2009's Offspring. Hmm. No. It's been a while since I've seen Offspring better. Uh,. You know, I actually don't really care. I mean, the offspring was okay. 
it, it's okay. I mean, I don't really care for either film to be honest. Okay, it's but it's not while. it's not out of the question that you know if them is- if I was to actually like you know critique it, I would say the woman probably is a better film for sure. Okay. Mm. All right. Yeah, I would after, say that too. After that, we have this one is the, the this one I hugely disagree with. Although I like this film, it is nowhere close to the original, and it is Return of the Living Dead three. What? Yeah. Hmm. Do you want to hear her reasoning? I definitely want it, to hear the reason because I yeah, 100% disagree with that. Yeah. Now, again, that doesn't mean we don't like Return of the Living Dead 3 because I absolutely love Return of the Living actually, Dead 3. I actually watched it you know, about a month and a half ago, you know, Vestor on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Uncut, man. Uncut. It's awesome. Great, great, great addition. Yeah. All right. She says, growing up, I enjoyed the punk rock humor of Return of the Living Dead. I still do, but I love Return of the Living Dead 3 way more. It's a sequel that drops most of the humor... Uh, this series is known for and takes a more serious gorier approach which isn't surprising considering it's helmed by brian usna Uh, for anyone wondering why director is so important take the sequels as an example there's so there's some campy dialogue and cheese here but usna elevates the material as for plot it centers on a romance only one half of the star-crossed lovers is slowly only only one half of the star-crossed lovers is slowly devolving into brain-eating undead. That's, that's well, what was wrote weird. I, I, uh, I, I see where she's dead? going with this, man. She's a little bit of I uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to go as far to say maybe feminist, but she's definitely on the side of, you know, female leads and things like that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the previous last couple examples with this film and, you know, Hostile 2, I mean, I yeah. think we can all agree. I mean, I think that's where she's relating to. That's why she's picking these over the originals. Yeah. Her, so, yeah. It's interesting. Her final sentence is Melinda Clark owns the role and the special effects team delivers some amazing work. So, yeah, like she's kind of high on Melinda Clark, as am I. She, she was great in that movie. Uh, but for sure, for sure, it is um, not as good as the original. No, it, it definitely uh, isn't, man. Melinda Clark, man, might even be one of the sexiest women ever. To f- oh yeah, yeah and i don't so even like redheads fucking dude, but I'm beautiful man she's so unbelievably beautiful like even years later when she was the mom on the oc i don't know if you guys ever watch that show oh um, yeah she played misha barton's mom yeah yeah dude and she was so fucking gorgeous on that show too man oh oh yeah damn man she's one hot one hottie man oh yeah and you know what I, I you know i'm not like the hugest fan of redheads either but whew, she does it man Love them. All right. Uh, next up, we have Maniac Cop Two, uh, which I agree. Actually, I like Maniac Cop Two more than the original. I, I agree. think it's better too. Yeah, I agree, man. I think that was also another one on, that was on my list. To be honest. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, and this one, I I hundred percent agree with. Like, this is one of my favorite sequels. It might have even been my number one when I did this list. Uh, but it is The Devil's Rejects sequel to the house of a thousand corpses yeah i agree i agree i love both films but yeah i definitely take um the devil's rejects over house of a thousand corpses yeah same here i love the aesthetic and just the look of that film it's just awesome <laughs> mm-hmm. all right uh next up hello mary lou prom night two i've never seen it so i can't comment but i, I don't really like the first one so i wouldn't be surprised if i like the second one more <laughs> i know i'm definitely 100 in the minority here but my favorite prom night film is prom night three 
I love that movie. The uncut version. Not that shitty-ass double-feature TV cut that a lot of people have and floating around. Uh, see this shit part three uncut man it's actually really fucking fun but i think part three is the best one in the franchise hands down it's been a while since i've seen any of these to comment on these you know what i mean but i mean if 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 we are talking about strictly like you know the first sequel like you know um prom night two yeah i agree man it's definitely better than the original one all right yeah after that another one that i agree with because uh, I think it's the second best in the franchise, and that is Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Yep, not not the best sequel, like, but I do think it's better than the original. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yep, me too. And that was it for the list. But I thought that, that was a pretty interesting list. There's only about two that I extremely disagreed with. There, uh, being um, Return of the Living Dead Three and uh, Hostel Part Two. She could probably even put that on a top 10 unpopular opinions list right there. Hostile yeah. 2 over the original one. I mean, I mean, there, there are some people that, that do prefer the second one. I think Carly prefers the second one. Really? Yeah. It must be a yeah. woman thing. <laughs> it, it definitely yeah. is, man. Definitely is. I do love that sky scene, though. That scene's awesome in that movie. <laughs> the what? Well, you know, the, the scene with the scythe. Oh, oh the yeah. Scythe. Yeah, man. Yeah. That scene is, yeah, it's awesome. It's brutal. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was cool though. That was cool. Top 10 yeah, sequels, yeah. man. I, I thought it was pretty cool for sure. Um, so uh, the only thing else here that before we get into what we watched is we actually did get a uh, email sent in from Dave from Exploding Heads. He sent us in an audio clip, uh, which I believe we did announced that we will return the uh, voicemail segment uh, in 2018. We're just going to be a little bit more careful on uh, the amount of of uh, voicemails we choose because we don't we don't want to we don't want to bog the show down too much with just voicemails because let's face it we were getting a ton of voicemails <laughs> at one point and it was just yeah. you know it was, it was a lot it was a lot and we already Especially during an infamous Night of the Demon show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that, like, I mean, I've been kind of tossed around the idea for next year, too, of not having the same segments on every show. So maybe one week we can do voicemails, and then the following week we won't have them. And then maybe one week we'll do dead mail or something like that, and then the following week but, we won't. Yeah. And, and even incorporate things. Like, I was I was even thinking, you know, even while, was, you know, while we were doing that top ten, you know, sequel uh, be, you know, better than the original film and stuff. Like even having segments of like, you know, top five, like quick little top five lists and stuff like that. Cause mm-hmm. I know you threw around the idea for top five Fridays and stuff for videos and things, but mm-hmm. I think it wouldn't be that bad. I mean, you know, not to rack your brain with these top five lists, but if you guys like that idea, just let us know. Um, Cause I definitely de- want to incorporate more top 10 type material. Like we, we have like a t- hit, hidden gem show plan that was planned forever, but we'll probably get to that in 2018 and mm-hmm. just other other types of shows to where we're not necessarily reviewing films in the sort of main event section of the episode, um, kind of, kind of spice it up a bit and, and yeah, kind of yeah, do agree. a little bit of different things every once in a while. Yeah. It's always cool, man. You know, like we're actually bouncing ideas off of some similar things in my show. So it always works out, you know, you want to just keep it fresh and new, you know what I mean? And, do different things at the same time, but you can always go back to the old format that everyone enjoys. Mm-hmm. Also, you know. Yep, 
Alright, so with that said, uh, I'm gonna post this, play this voicemail from Dave. Hey, Exploding heads. Uh, it's <laughs> six minutes and eight seconds long, so get ready. You've got mail. Hey guys, what's up? It's Dave Z. I'll try to make this as quick as possible. Um, just a couple things minutes. I wanted to address. First of all, thank you very much for the props on the Slasher Show, especially from you, JP. Uh, we really appreciate it. We worked really hard on it, and we know that you guys know exactly what goes into a show like that and how serious we take it. So, thank you. Oh, one thing you got wrong, though, JP. I watched 130 movies, homie, not 80. Come on, man. Give me some credit there. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know where I came up with that number. I, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I guess I was wrong on a little bit of statistics there. So I, I think maybe I was thinking of what he had said for his 2017 list, but I could be wrong on that too. Watch him correct me next week and be like, actually, I'm at uh, 98 for that one. So you got that one wrong too. But yeah. All right. Uh, continuing. But yeah, I watched 130. Brand was like 144, I think. Christian was 170, so oh, I went into it. So thank you very much uh, for the for all of that, for the props and everything. Um, now Eli Roth, let me just say one thing. Uh, I didn't know about the Ryan Turek thing with Shockwave, so when I cited them, I had no idea. But I, I will tell you this, and I have no reason to defend Ryan Turek because that son of a bitch still owes me uh, Paranormal Activity DVDs that he stiffed <laughs> me on. But anyway, um, <laughs> Eli Roth was in the right in that situation. There's no question. So. Anything I heard about Eli Roth was back when they were killer POV, and it was from Becca and um, and Elric, who are the two coolest cats on the show, and I, you probably agree. Uh, they got the best personalities, and they're just cool, and I've talked to them personally. I actually disagree. I like Rob the best. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I like all three of them, but I think, I think Elric is a little like, I disagree with what he says like so often. Um, Becca's cool, though. But yeah, you, yeah. you guys listen to uh, Shockwaves? I like Becca, man. She's cool, man. Yeah, I listen to it like here and there. I I, I like all three of them, to be honest. But yeah, you know I, I mean, yeah, I, I I like them all too, man. I mean, it's just like every show. I mean, when you listen to it, I'm I'm agreeing with some things and I'm disagreeing with some things, and you know, yeah. from all people, kind of thing, right? So it is. It happens. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I might like Rob most because I actually had some interactions with Rob like years before that he did that podcast just like on online and stuff hmm. but mm-hmm. um yeah uh when he did he did the uh, psycho legacy documentary yeah uh, i was talking to him about that a little bit so anyway continuing everything uh they're cool as hell but anyway the story i heard was this elric was introduced to eli roth by a friend of his at some event in los angeles and the setup was actually funny because his friend told him hey i just want to introduce you to this guy so you can see how much of a douchebag he is so Elric's like, okay. So he brings him over to Eli Roth, and he introduces him. And Elric's like, well, I did shake his hand. Or he he said, he did shake my hand. But he, he extends his hand, doesn't even look me in the face. And the whole time he's doing it, he's looking around the room, uh, you know, to see who else uh, is more important that he could talk to. He, he barely addressed me. He didn't say anything. He was like, hey, and whatever. And he just just felt like a, a douchey move, he said. And, and that's all he said there. And then... Becca piped in. She goes, you know what? That makes sense because when I interviewed him for Fangoria, he's right in front of me. And the whole time I'm interviewing interviewing him and talking to him, didn't even look at me. He just kept his face in his phone and and looked down in there and surfed around and didn't even pretend like I, I mattered much, just enough to interview me and answer a few questions. And that was it. But he was uh, – she goes, I had the same experience. He just disregarded me. So, you know, a couple experiences like that, 
and um, you know common courtesy is something I'm big on I don't care me personally if I'm sad depressed mad whatever's going on in my life I always extend common courtesy to everyone I just you know but when you hear things like that from uh, from numerous people I think it does factor in a little bit it should I think it should because it goes both ways. When I hear someone's great and I never hear a bad thing about a guy like Bill Mosley or this or that or anybody, and then you meet him, you know what? It all just about always seems to, uh, to ring true. Same thing with it goes both ends of the spectrum. You hear that this woman's a bitch or this guy's an asshole and this and then you know what? A lot of experiences, people come out and they say it. And I have a little more insight on that because uh, I worked in Las Vegas for 10 years. I got to meet athletes, celebrities, different people like that. And word spreads around town how they act. And usually, actually every time I've heard that so-and-so was this or uh, an asshole or so-and-so was really cool, it always rang true. So, you know, I, I do factor in, yes, you should form your own opinions, but, where, you know, where, where there's smoke, there's fire, I, I think. And I think that he, I think he does come off douchey uh, just because of things like that. I don't think it has anything to do with his looks because if you look at other directors, uh, you know, Adam Green and Mike Flanagan, they're normal-looking guys too. So, I don't know. But maybe his dialogue, so him and Rob Zombie, Rob Zombie can only seem to write white trash and he can only seem t- to write uh you know uh those those type of characters that he writes uh what do you guys call them uh frat boys or whatever i don't know uh i'm not even a, opposed to his movies actually i like most of his movies you know so i have none i just you know and i'm not the kind of guy that's gonna comment and say oh yeah he's an asshole i don't do that but jp we've talked about this you know just personally we all have i think so that's all i have to say about about that um it is what it is. I think uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. That's all I'm saying with Eli Roth. But um, whatever. Uh, I think he's a smart businessman. I won't take that away from him. He, he's right in the middle. And I appreciate, the, I appreciate the fact that he's a fan. I love that about him. That is cool. He has his knowledge. He's into it. That's really cool, man. So, I mean, I, you can't hate on a guy for that. But you should have common courtesy. You should remember where you came from and shit like that. That's just my opinion. Um, Jeremy, two things. Number one. <laughs> Franchise shows. We're doing them now because we passed our two-year mark. We said we weren't going to do any major franchise shows until we've been around two years because we didn't want to do that typical, stereotypical podcast shit that everyone does. And we didn't want to do that mostly because, uh, you know, I I had experience before with my shows and Christian with his. We've covered all that stuff a lot. So we we didn't want anyone to say, hey, they're doing the same old recycled stuff that they've done in the past. So now that two years has passed, now we're kind of going to just do what we want. And as far as Patreon, check it out. No, we have not done your guys' uh, selection, but but check it out. We have two for you. I believe that uh, we paid for two franchise, not franchise shows, two whatever, uh, trilogies. We haven't even told you what we want yet. So it's going both ways, man. We're not rushing. We're cool. We can't get our hands on the damn movies that you guys <laughs> talked about. So that it's going to take some time. But So there you go. That, that's why we're taking some time there. But uh, I think that's it. I hope I'm not leaving anything out. But uh, anyway, yeah, I won't ramble on anymore. I have to. I appreciate it. You guys are still my favorite show. Love you guys. Exploding heads, all of you. So, talk to you guys later. Peace. All right. So that was the the voicemail slash uh, audio clip that Dave sent in. And and one thing that I will say uh, is yes, um, he is correct. Me and Brandon actually talked about it a little bit, um, where I we were really busy. Like I think we had a crazy schedule going into October. 
and um we both kind of like i asked if he was doing our show that moods picked for him which was the uh I don't know if they announced it, so I won't say, but um, it was a trilogy, and he said probably not until 2018, and I was like, oh, okay, so I guess we're not doing yours till 2018 either, um, and he and we kind of had a, a gentleman's agreement on that, because um, really, we didn't even have a spot to fit it, fit it in anyway. No, we didn't. Um, which no. they have two for us, so two trilogy shows or, or whatever, um, so I'm sure once they do ours then we'll do theirs or whatever but yeah so so that we did have a gentleman's agreement on that uh now i can't speak for the rest of your patreon uh supporters derek you are you a patreon supporter of exploding heads yeah i actually did talk to dave about it i said because they were busy at the time and stuff i'll save them and we'll do a giant show themed out you know what i mean okay kind of so like you we actually doing, have yeah so i actually, made an agreement with him yeah i talked to dave about it okay um so uh and also he he mentioned like the the eli roth and i've heard those stories too from from becca and and elric i don't remember them 100 percent, but i can tell you this if some if if one of my friends comes up to me and says or somebody i know says i want to introduce you to this guy just so you can see how big of a douchebag he is i don't like that mentality right like i I just Mm -hmm. don't like that that type of uh, I'm going to introduce you to it because you go in suspecting. Yeah, he's a because you, you're already so, planting the seed in this person's mind. that This guy's going to be a fucking asshole. Yes. So you're so going to come out thinking Eli he's Roth, a fucking asshole. So even if Eli Roth was like, oh, hey, how's it going or whatever. And it was just like real short. Like you now have a extra seed of information that you didn't have beforehand to where you might just look at that as like, oh, he's busy or, oh, he's got something on his mind or something like that. But now you're looking and you're forcing it to say that he's yes. a douchebag. Now yeah. in terms of the Becca talking to him and him looking at his phone or something like, dude, I say this all the time. You do not know what's going on in someone's life, right? There could be any number of things going on. And these people are forced to be in these situations where they have an event to appear at or an interview to do or something like that. And they have to do it because they made a commitment. And so instead of canceling it all together, they try to just deal with whatever they're dealing with in their personal life while also going through it. So they don't break that commitment, which is actually a good, a nice gesture to do to, to, and you know, I'm not making excuses. Maybe he is just a, a douchebag, right? That's possible too. Yeah. But I'm saying like those two experiences do not sell me on somebody being a douchebag at all. Because I'll tell you right now, if there's something going on in my life and uh, I have to do a thousand fucking interviews all the time and all this stuff, it's going to – nobody knows what that's like also, right? Like I see people who with half the fame of these people get very annoyed and very – rude towards their fans and and things like that now imagine being you know a a superstar or something like that i can't even picture what it would be like to have to shake hands with a million people and it's and and the same thing with adam green right like like when when i met him some people he was really short with some people he wasn't he, he clearly had a lot of things going on i can't I can't imagine what it's like to have to talk to that many people. I know I wouldn't be able to handle it that much. Like I would, I would be, I would probably be considered a douchebag to a lot of people because listen, just because you like, here's another thing. Just because you want to meet me, doesn't mean that, that you're a cool person, right? That doesn't, Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that who knows, like maybe 
maybe um, Eli didn't like something that Becca had said about him before. You know what I mean? And or wrote about him. And maybe he was just like, I'm not going to fuck with this person. You know what I mean? And it's 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 entirely possible. Or maybe she said something about one of his friends. You know, we don't know all the information. To so to kind of, you know, chastise Eli Roth is that a word? Chastise? It is. Yeah. Uh, Eli Roth for you know these um, now third party or fourth party like fourth person removed stories. I think is is kind of not fair honestly but i don't think dave was saying that he believes them either but he's just weary yeah yeah i i I take that shit with a grain of salt i'm just like i really don't give a fuck because i'm i'm the type of person i'd always you know i conjure up my own opinion on things and that's just the way it is with me you know i i don't really have a specific opinion personally because i've never met eli roth but I know I'm probably in the minority from what I've seen with him and, you know, interview wise and just, you know, him talking and stuff. I'm probably in the minority here, but I actually prefer him more than his actual to his movies, you know, like where some people will be like, yeah, man, I like Eli Ross movies and stuff, but I can't fucking stand him. I mean, that's yeah. He t- always seems super cool to me, honestly, that's, that's, like, yeah. I, you know, and that, just because somebody else has said that they heard somebody's meet you know him and it was a bad experience hey that was not me that he met yeah right and uh, i hear the same thing about tom savini alex edwards met tom savini and it was awesome the same day his friend met tom savini jerry uh not not jerry herring herring but another guy uh and he had a bad experience so maybe you know nothing against jerry but maybe tom savini didn't like him you know what i mean like like celebrities are allowed to not like people for whatever reasons too yeah you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. uh I, you know, or maybe he just had a bad moment that time. But uh, I, I'm never gonna think that somebody is a complete asshole until I meet them, I have an experience, or I see something firsthand. I just I do not judge people based on what other people have told me. No, I, ever, I, I can because I, I feel like I, I feel like there's either. so much bias there, and it's yeah. and, and, and here, for a lot of people, people a lot of people do lie. Like, how many people have you went like to work? started with working and you know start a new job or something and then these people talk mad smack on this person but then you meet this person and they're cool <laughs> oh, fuck it's happened to me a million times man yeah so um I'm, i i kind of reserve my judgment i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say that he, he's a great guy but i'm not gonna say he's a douchebag either he seems cool from every experience i've seen first you know seeing yeah, him uh, in interviews in things like that i've never seen him act like a jerk on camera I've only heard other people say when they met him that he was a jerk or whatever. And I've only heard two people say it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, going back to Tom Savini thing, like when I met him, he was, he was awesome. I even got him to talk about a film that he said that he didn't want to talk about. Like he was pretty <laughs> cool. He was really cool with me, man. And, you know, and, and in fact, like, I don't know if he was just having a good weekend or whatever, but everyone I talked to that had met Savini at Wasteland a couple years back, had good experiences like he was in good spirits man he had his grandson there and he was joking around mm-hmm. and he was he was honestly nice peeps man you know the only person i've heard universally hated is linda blair that's the only person i've heard where literally every person i hear talk about him say that who, she's a douchebag who i was talking to oh shit man i was talking to someone one time and they were they actually saw this happen it was fucking crazy um so there was a lineup to meet linda blair 
and it basically said like you know you're not allowed to snap pictures of her and blah 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 and Mm -hmm. shit like that and Anyways, of course, somebody did, and she got her goon, like her fucking bodyguard, to go over Wasn't there. Wasn't that, like, uh, Beyond the Realms talking about that? Yeah, I think it was actually Jason, and yeah, I think it was Jason who said that. And yeah. they fucking confiscated the phone, and the person got kicked <laughs> out and shit. I'm like, that's some real crazy shit, man. It's just a fucking yeah. snapshot. Who cares? If you're standing in line, that means that you're going to be paying for something anyways. You're not standing in line to take free fucking snapshots of Linda Blair, right? They're there yeah. to get the picture or the something sign or whatever. Right, so why is she be making such a big fucking deal? I, to do that shit, man. Like those types of the stories, kind of offend me, man. I'm like, that's brutal, man. That's just, that's yeah. just fucking. That you know, that's on a different level of douchey right there. But you know, Linda fucking Blair. Yeah. But yeah, def- so, she's definitely one of the most hated people out there. I've I, I've <laughs> I've honestly heard from so many people. You know, I've never really heard anything good about it. And plus, she's outrageous with her prices. Like, what does she charge? Like, 120 bucks for a, a picture or an autograph or some shit? And, like, another 40 or yeah. 50 oh, and That's what I heard, yeah. Ridiculous, Also, man. to comment on something Dave said, I don't think that Eli Roth being, like, a handsome dude is the only reason he's hated. Like, I just think that it adds to, to people's dislike of him i know i know for a fact it does maybe not the majority of people but i i definitely believe that i've seen strong evidence pointing uh to that 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 he looks like somebody who is not one of us one of one of the horror film i I can completely i can completely relate to it man i get hated on because i'm so beautiful all the time too yeah me too (laughs) me too and um in terms of like adam green and uh who, who else did he say like I, I i think that adam green is not a bad looking dude for sure you know but i don't think that he looks like eli roth like eli roth granted he's older now and stuff but like he was like people were like i remember seeing him on all these like hot top 10 lists and like magazine stands and shit you know it was, it was different you yeah. don't see adam green and that stuff or mike but, flanagan um, either yeah 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 um, I, you could tell Dave is, <laughs> is like afraid to say some well, think- good looking dude because he's like he's like they they look like normal people. <laughs> yeah, the other thing with Adam, nobody's gonna thing- think you're da- gay, Dave. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, the other thing with like uh, with like he said with like Flanagan and uh, uh, Green is uh, they didn't really have like an acting career either because you know Green did like the Tarantino stint where he starred in a few Tarantino films in the middle of like direct. Roth. Oh yeah, Eli Roth. Well, I mean, Green definitely has a bigger acting career than Eli. I would say, like Green's in I mean, a whole Holliston, TV right? show, yeah, and he yeah. the whole picking up the marrow is is him. Yeah, he plays himself. Yeah, but yeah, so um, that's that's it for that voicemail. Thanks, Dave, for the clip. Uh, we appreciate it, buddy. Nice, nice. nice. No, Jeremy, though, to answer the question. Uh, I am the devil and I am here to do the devil's work they will say that I have shed innocent blood what's blood for if not for shedding I like to dissect girls did you know I'm utterly insane have you checked the children Children. what do we do why don't we just wait here for a little while See what happens. Yeah, jumping into the dub 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 portion of the show. That's usually when Jeremy would be like, oh fucking lazy asshole. 
<laughs> oh, I love the dub dub dub. Yeah, me too. Uh yeah, where we go round tree, review some films, give some rev- ratings, give some reviews, give some reviews. Yeah, okay. D Boogie, do you want to start us off? Sure. All right. Well, well, since I was on a little Santanic cult kick with uh prepping for uh episode 6 Cinema Attack, I decided to review one that wasn't part of our show. So this one's from 1971, and it's titled The Brotherhood of Satan. Yes, you can get this actually in this really nice like uh, three-pack from Mill Creek. It comes with uh, Brotherhood of Satan, Torture Garden, and Creeping Flesh. And yeah, this one's directed by uh, Bernard McEvery, who didn't really do a lot of films. He's very known for like doing a lot of TV work, including like, TV shows. So this is like one of his only films, which is kind of sad because this is a really interesting one. Pretty much the main gist of this one, we're introduced to our main character, Ben, who's with his girlfriend and his daughter, who uh, his wife actually passed away, as we find out in the film. It's actually his uh, new girlfriend who's with them. And they're traveling around and they end up finding like this wreckage that like uh, looks like craziness, like a crushed car with like body parts hanging out of it. So they end up going to the local town and where near this where this is happening, and once they get there, all hell breaks loose. Like all the townspeople come and start ridiculing them and blaming them for it's your fault that this is happening and you killed my kid and took my kid and they just get ransacked and run out of the town. But they end up breaking down and they have to end up going back to the town. And what they find out is through the local sheriff and the doctor is that uh, pretty much what's been happening is children have been going missing and their parents have been brutally murdered in different ways and forms of fashion. So Ben and his family are the gist of trying to help the sheriff and the local priest and the doctor try to solve what's going on with it. And as this is going on, actually, his daughter ends up becoming one of the missing and that's when the plot thickens and the final conflict begins. Now... This is a very interesting film. It has a really interesting beginning sequence with the aspect of how the parents that they get killed with aspects of involving the children per se. I don't want to really give it away because it's something you have to really see to believe. <laughs> you know what I mean with that aspect of it. And uh, it's just a very interesting like uh, way to tell a film. And the performances are really good, especially uh, actually the producer of this film, L.E.Q. Jones, plays the sheriff, who is very recognizable. I recognize him mostly from some non-horror stuff that he did. Like He played like the elder like gaming commissioner in Casino, the Martin Scorsese film. And he's really good, but the real person who really steals this movie is character actor Strother Martin course who was in some of my favorite movies you guys probably know him for playing the doctor and you know the snake movie he plays the doctor in that film yeah uh he just fucking kills in this role and he just said the way that his character develops and the way that his character is in the film is fucking awesome and just the aspect of what's going on with like the satanic cult in this film and what's going on with their main scheme is really interesting. And you never really see it done in like these type of this type of film before, which I always say about like uh satanic cult films, even though like I say this and actually the way that I describe satanic cult films, they all part of like the same subgenre, but they all have different feels to them. And this one's no exception. 
really awesome stuff and this one has a really fucking awesome ending so if you haven't seen the brotherhood of Satan, i highly recommend it if you're a fan of santana cult ones it's one of the better ones i have to say so i have to give it an 8.5 out of 10 yeah it's a good one man it's severely underrated man i don't know why that one doesn't get talked about more but uh yeah yeah so yeah yeah, this mill creek blu-ray is really cheap check it out you get two other films too with that one what we've got here is failure to communicate. He's famous for saying that line. Yeah. <laughs> Shore of the mountain. Cool yep. Luke. That's who said it. Yep. Cool shit, man. Cool shit. Yeah, it's... it's. Hopefully more people get to see it. I mean, really, why wouldn't you pick up that three-pack? It's like dirt cheap, you know? How's the transfer on it? Really good. It's actually one of the... Like, uh, Torture Garden is probably the most, like, great, dark transfer out of that one yeah but the other two are really good from what i watched them nice nice jp all right uh so i decided to watch some 2017 films this week while putting off some patreon films <laughs> uh just kind of uh was in the mood for I, I as i was telling you guys that i was like really in a slump with uh older films where i was just like i just want to watch something new like i just got that craving uh, so I started with Kong Skull Island, which I picked up on Black Friday. It was one of the few pickups that I grabbed. Uh, $6 on Blu-ray. I uh, was just really kind of interested in this one. It's, I mean, it's always debated whether like these films are considered horror or not. Um, like the kind of giant monster, like more action-y type movies. But I will say like this one actually surprised me with the amount of like gore and, and stuff in it. Like It's not overly gory or anything, but it definitely has some darkness to it. Uh, but it basically follows uh, – it opens up in actually like World War II uh, where you have a American pilot and a Japanese pilot uh, fighting in close combat. And then um, we see the reveal of uh, King Kong. Uh, and then it, it takes place uh, – picks up 29 years later in 1973 uh, with um, a couple of uh, government agents who uh, island known as skull island and uh they want to get there first to see what's there before like the russians do uh so they get escorted by some like viet vietnam war veteran pilot guy and and a squad and they basically uh land there it's the island's like covered by like a storm so they had a, a rough entry and basically they're separated and uh they quickly find out that like this giant monkey ape thing lives there and not only that but like tons of other weird creatures and and giant monsters and stuff like that Uh, and they're trying to get back back home you know what i mean and they run into um some natives there as well uh so this movie honestly like i really enjoyed it like i i thought i heard like a bunch of hate for this one when it was released in theaters i was actually gonna go see it just never got around to it uh before it got uh pulled from theaters um or ran its course whatever you want to say but i I actually thought this was a super fun movie and i've actually i actually don't hate the um peter jackson king kong uh i don't love it but i I don't hate it as much as some people do i I much have always preferred them on the island even in the original king kong to when they get back to new york or wherever they are and i was very happy to see that this one pretty much primarily takes place on skull island which i think is awesome because like that's Mm -hmm. the funnest part of the movies and there's all these damn 
like there was this there was this like giant like bug thing that was like its legs were like camouflaged like bamboo and it was like awesome as hell like this guy gets impaled through the mouth and stuff um another dude gets like ripped apart by some like pterodactyls which was pretty cool and uh there's like there's like these i guess like the main villain that kong kind of fights is these like lizard things that live underground skin crawlers skin crawlers i thought they called them skull skull something i forget it yeah uh, john c Riley calls he's like skull crawlers skull crawlers that's yeah I tried to think of the name at the time. <laughs> <Something Yeah. cool. laughs> Dude, that was funny as hell. Like he says they're called skull crawlers and they're like, why do you call them that? And he's like, He's like, cuz, you blob. <laughs> like, the dude, the, that's a guy from what, like, Step Brothers or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, dude, that guy is funny as hell. Mm-hmm. I don't watch a whole lot of comedies and stuff, but I like seeing that guy in movies. He, he's really good. Uh, and he was he was good in this one. There's, like, like when once they run into him, there's, like, a ton of comedy for, like, the next, like, 15, 20 minutes. But it was, like, such well-timed, like, good relief from, like, the action and stuff. It was pretty cool. I uh, really like that. It kind of felt like a like a Jurassic Park type movie where they're like stuck on this place and you know there's all these things that could kill them. I honestly did not care for the skull crawlers. Like I thought they were kind of lame. Um, they definitely are like a like a, a, a tough adversary for King Kong, but I just didn't like the design of them that much. I thought it was pretty weird, basic. Weird I thought it was basic and just like not that creative. Like I've seen things that look kind of like that before. Uh, in in you know like art and movies and stuff like that. I don't know. I just I didn't think they were overly. I think I've seen them in like video games even. They just didn't yeah. look that cool. Um, but uh, King Kong was really really good looking. You know, like there's a lot of CGI and stuff in the movie, obviously. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but it it was pretty. It was all pretty good and and yeah, there was some things in the movie that like like any of these like action adventure movies like so convenient like works out perfectly if that didn't happen then the whole movie would be over and blah blah so like i always hate that stuff in in these movies but they're it's just they're in every single one of them so uh you just kind of got to accept it um pretty pretty solid effort like i i was i was really into it had a lot of fun with it thought it was a blast uh and it was like the perfect movie to kind of get me out of my like like I just wanted like straight up like brain food, you know, like not really brain food, but like um like a popcorn movie, you know, just something mindless is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, there's not that much thought to it. It's not like, you know, it's just kind of cool to look at. And um, I thought it was pretty funny. I, I thought John Goodman's character was completely wasted. Wasted. Oh, 100 um, percent. My thoughts. Man. I that agree. Was the, that yeah. was the first thing I said when I walked out of the cinema. I turned to said to Dylan. I said, man, they really fucked up John Goodman's character, didn't they? <laughs> like when you have an actor of that caliber, man. Yeah, you make room for him. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, totally. I don't care especially, especially when you like in the beginning, he's like a major part of the story. You know That's what I what mean? That's what I didn't and, understand why why they took his character where they did. Yeah, That's kind like, of weird on that. I know yeah. it's so fucked up. Um, and you you know besides that, there was like an after credit scene which was really cool. Like I I knew what it was already. I heard people talk about it. Um, but it, I guess they're gonna set up like a new, another, like a like a shared universe type thing with these movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there've always been a shared universe with these, with King Kong and Godzilla and and those things. You know, Godzilla has tons of characters and shit that's in all their movies. But um, is there another one announced of Godzilla? No, no. King Kong. So. Well, the, it's gonna be Kong versus Godzilla after the next Godzilla. 
Uh, okay, so they're doing another Godzilla, and then okay, yeah, Adam Wingard is directing Kong versus Godzilla. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's yeah. so crazy. Wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Adam Wingard has went skyrocketed in his career, yeah. but um, that's cool, man. I, I, I really, I really am. I haven't seen. You know what? I own Godzilla, the one that they did recently. They put out a couple years ago, like two years ago or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I own it on Blu-ray. I picked it up oddly enough on a Black Friday for like six bucks, and I've never watched it. So maybe I'll watch that now. Kind of see where, I, and I, I probably assume that King Kong's a little bit better, but uh, yeah, I'm coming in at eight point five out of ten on Godzilla or Kong Skull Island. Really liked it. I've, I'm shocked that you liked it and actually rated it that high. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Wow. I actually, I actually liked it better in my second viewing because of just the crowd I was with. The, the theater experience wasn't good for me. Does that, that make sucks. any sense? I've, I've not had like a like I've been to the theater more this year than I have in my entire life and I have only had one bad experience and it was during I think friend request where the stupid bitch up in the front row kept having looking at her phone and it was like the brightness was on max and she was in the front row <laughs> yeah fucking but, yeah like, like when I was, I yeah know. but like when I rewatched it with my family we rented it and stuff I actually enjoyed it a lot better than my first experience with it so I agree. It's a little fun popcorn movie. That's what I, I kind of hope that happens with me too. Because f- first watch, man, I, I liked it, but I wasn't like in love with it. So I, I also picked it up on Black Friday. Um, so I need to pop that in and yeah, give it a I rewatch. I typically like King Kong more than Godzilla. I know we have this debate all the time in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, yeah, it, it seems um, like a weekly fucking thing now, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just talking about the ori- like the original King Kong versus the original Godzilla, but well, uh, to be fair, like I know I give a lot of shit to Zack and shit, but I actually really like both films, and I rate them both the same. But I just prefer Godzilla; it's what I grew up with first. You know what I mean? So that might have something to do with it. Yeah. It's just that nostalgia yeah. factor is always there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're both great films, either or less. And we could have both of them in our lives, you know what I mean? Yeah, classics. I actually don't know, like, which one I honestly prefer. I pre- The reason I prefer King Kong is because I, I, I honestly think that it's, a like, one, a more fun movie. Like, I like that there's other threats um, besides... I don't know, it seems like there's more happening than just, like what happens in Godzilla like there's a little bit more social commentary and uh, like they both have social commentary but I don't know like I pr- I think at the end of the day I prefer like the Ray Harryhausen like stop motion effects to a guy in a suit which is actually kind of sad because that's the what E.G. Subarier actually wanted to do but the studio wouldn't allow him to do it at the with the money that they had for the film so they had the rely on the pseudomation which became his art in sense because he went on to do more pseudomation stuff in the because it's just a lot cheaper i guess you know what i mean yeah the word pseudomation (laughs) pseudomation totally just sounds like a made-up word no it's really a word (laughs) i know it just sounds like it is but you know i'll be honest though man when i watched the original king kong it the effects still blow me away for the time that film was made like they're really impressive even today like I don't know if you guys have the King Kong Blu-ray. Like, I've got the, the fucking... Um, yeah, I have the Digibook. Yeah, the Digibook. But, man, that transfer is ridiculously good. 
And like the effects are, they, they, you know, usually when you would watch a film like that with a transfer, you, you kind of start to notice things, right? Nah, man, it, it really it holds up. It actually holds up yeah. considering you know the film's what like yeah, I, eight, I'm almost much, ninety years old. So I much rather prefer like modern Godzilla, like when they are not in the suit, like when it's actually like I think I think that suit animation is pretty shitty, honestly. If I'm being honest. Um, that and I prefer the digital effects of over the 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 suit Godzillas, um, but that's just me. I'm not like into the kaiju stuff, you know. I know that the, it has its lovers. Derek's one yeah. of them. Yeah, no. Well, it's very influential too, even with the, like the claymation, because they without suitimation you wouldn't have stop motion performances like Andy Serkis and Lord of the Rings, because it's you got to remember these are actors in suits actually giving performances. And sometimes they're better than others. I'll agree. Like some Godzilla's performances are better than others and aspects of that. But there's a lot of like other kaiju movies like War of the Gargantuans where you see like the emotion because it's actually they have like human faces in that movie because it's yeah, not really yeah. like not really like more like they're not like all like costumes. That was the mo- last week. That was the <laughs> what's funny is that was the movie that Tarantino ch- took Eli Roth to his house to show him more the Gargantuans like on on his print or whatever remember I mentioned it last week I couldn't remember what the movie was that's right that's right it was that movie yeah it's one of his favorites yeah <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah Derek actually sent me a copy of that movie never watched yeah. it sorry <laughs> just being brutally honest he's like, I did I watch I the watch fan it. though <laughs> finally he, he totally put, he put that in the pile of films he's never gonna watch no, I'll watch it. <laughs> Patreon supporters, listen to the exactly. Yeah, Damn it. just I'm just feeding them to him. Yeah, that's what Jeremy does yeah, all but, the time too. But like I said, it's not like full suitimation. Like they have like body suits on them, but they have like facial expressions too. So mm-hmm. you look my, at that. My biggest thing with suitimation is if you look like a sponge, it takes me out of the movie. Like if if you're if you when you bend, it looks like rubbery or like like a suit. You know, like that's when it's like it, it it takes me out of the film a little bit. I honestly like it, man. I think it's fun, it's silly. Yeah, like Gilman. Gilman's a suit. You know what I mean? Gilman to... looks damn good in that suit, though. He doesn't look spongy Some in fun. the first one. <laughs> the the yeah. second and third one, he doesn't look great. <laughs> yeah, it gets worse. <laughs> anyway, it's your turn, mids. Nice, nice. All right, man. First up here from 1976. Uh, with a film called JD's Revenge. Uh, this one recently nice. got re- uh, released by Arrow Video. Um, yeah, I actually don't have a copy. I They just, you know, they sent me, like, the, the shitty-ass screeners. But it's been so long, man, since I'd seen this film, I really didn't remember it. And um, so I was like, fuck it, man, I'm just going to pop it in, you know, review it on here. Is this so. horror at all? It. I mean, it has horror elements to it, for sure. I mean, it's basically a possession film slash okay. revenge. So... Uh, yeah, hence the title, right? JD's Revenge. But basically, it's about uh, our main character, Isaac. Um, he's out with his girlfriend one time or one night, and they go to like a hypnotist, and he gets hypnotized and ultimately gets possessed by this dead gangster from like the early 40s. And uh, so now he's kind of going through these changes and shit. Like, he's uh, he's like a law student and stuff, and you know, he's getting crazy headaches and shit, and he's just like. He goes to the hospital, get checked out. And they're like, no, man, you're just stressed out. It's from, you know, too much school and shit. So he's just kind of, you know, he's changing up and stuff. And and so basically what happens is he gets possessed by this uh, this character, J.D. Walker. 
And so he alternately becomes that person and he's out for revenge against the people that killed him and his sister. Um, so, you know, it's a very basic type film, but uh, what really separates this film from like a lot of black exploitation films is the possession angle to this. But man, I tell you, Glenn Turman's performance in this film as Isaac and JD is fucking phenomenal. He does such a great job with these two characters, man. Um, like just turning it off and on, like when he's Isaac, you know, he's this kind of very laid back type, you know, smart type character and things like that. And then when he turns into this just menacing maniac in JD Walker, and it's just like a fucking light switch, man. His performance is to die for. It's so fun to watch. Um, it's definitely a little bit light on the horror. I mean, I was expecting it to be, um, from what I, I mean, it's been so long since I've seen it, but uh, I was kind of expecting it to be maybe a little bit more gore, maybe even have more deaths and stuff in that. I mean, the horror aspect of this is just the possession. That's really what it is. It plays out more or less like a black exploitation film. It's got like the funky soundtrack and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's classified on IMDb as an action horror thriller. I wouldn't even say, I, I don't know why they would put action first here because it's definitely not an <laughs> action film. It's kind of a funny adaptation for this you know to call it an action film because it's definitely not i mean it's a possession film but um but yeah this movie is just balls to the wall actually super funny man uh the one-liners man that when he's jd walker it's so fucking funny i actually sent a clip one time in our in our chat room of this part <laughs> where he <laughs> after he just finished this fucking this chick it's it's got to be the funniest shit i've ever seen man but yeah chock full of one-liners pretty great stuff the revenge is pretty cool but you know the interesting thing about this movie is that it doesn't play itself uh straightforward it actually does have a little bit of twists and turns in the film which i completely didn't remember and i was like damn man they actually tried to like you know mix it up with some twists and turns and shit like that i was like that's pretty crazy uh but all in all man super super fun if you're a fan of black exploitation films you're a fan of possession films put them together this is exactly what you're going to get with jd's revenge it's uh it's definitely worth it just for the performance of glenn Turman. Turman, man he absolutely fucking knocks us out of park i mean something like this you never get nominated but he should have man um you know he, he definitely should have got some type of notoriety for this performance it's really good and i have to say lewis gossett jr actually plays the reverend in this film he's one of the characters that actually he's you know jd's trying to get revenge upon and he yeah. does a fucking awesome job as the reverend in this film too like his performance is so over the top it reminds you like like Nick Cage style, man. Like he's playing this fucking this reverend and he's doing his speeches and shit. And he's like, oh yeah, oh, and you know he's just going fucking hardcore. Oh man, it's just it's so fucking good, man. Um, yeah, man. So surprisingly enough, really good performances in this film. Um, all in all, pretty fun. You know, I think it runs a little bit too long. To be honest, I think there's there's some sequences in this that probably could have been cut down a little bit. I, I felt like it just kind of dragged and they just kind of just extended a little bit too much it runs 96 minutes it probably could have been at least 10 minutes shorter but that's you know kind of a minor complaint with this one but all in all it's all about the entertainment value really it's and you know surprisingly decent film uh, i'm going to come in at about a seven and a half out of ten on this one it's fun as hell it's fun as hell so that's the, your front runner for 2000 or i mean 1976 <laughs> yeah i guess so right <laughs> how many have you watched is this your first one um no i've watched probably Mm, maybe 300 maybe 12 13 i mean i'm in that range but i've watched quite a few oh i've watched one (laughs) you've only watched one Uh, omen (laughs) 
Oh yeah, it was a fucking Patreon pick too. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, did you get did you get a copy of JD's Revenge? Yeah, it's actually the that and um yeah, that's actually the only screener that I have that I haven't reviewed yet that I'm that I have currently. Yeah, you could check it out, man. It's pretty fun. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So guess back to me, and since well, Moose doesn't have anything Italian this week. It's probably all Italian out. <laughs> I decided to review an Italian film because this is one that I was watching for a few times since I got it in. And this one goes out to our very special friend Andy because I know he loves this film with a passion. It goes by the title of Zeter from 1983, also known from its awesome fake cover art, Revenge of the Dead. Yeah. Now, the thing, now, the thing about this movie, if you do want to pick this up without going too much into it, don't expect the cover art to be this movie. I knew that going into it, and I had a lot of better experience with that, so this is definitely a film you don't judge by the cover art. Now, of course, this film is directed by Poopy Avati, who uh, probably probably doesn't direct a lot of horror films. He has three to his title, and i only seen two of them. First, like he directed House of Laughing Windows in the 70s, and he directed this one in the 80s, and in the 90s he directed Arcane Sorcerer, which I want to check out. That one's from 96. I hope it gets a release sometime. Sounds interesting enough. Yeah, that and, was actually uh, that was one of the films that I could not find when we were doing our '96 show. I know Brandon yeah. Brandon had mentioned it, and he's like, I think he said it was really good, but like we couldn't find a copy of it or something. No, like he that. hadn't seen it either. None of us had. We, oh, okay. We, I tried to find. I tried every avenue that I knew and couldn't find a copy of it. I actually know that there's this UK site that actually has bootlegs of it. Yeah, yeah. I tried every avenue except for. UK bootleg sites. <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious because after we had that little conversation about it, yeah, but Zeter, Pubi Avati, who, uh, and this one's very interesting. It stars Gabriel Lafia, who, if you guys know from 22 Shots review of Deep Red, he played Carlo in Deep Red. He plays a character named Stefano, who's a journalist and writer who's just got a brand new typewriter from his girlfriend or actually it's his wife I think in the film it's been a few days since I watched this one and pretty much he's changing the ribbon of this new used typewriter and he finds the old uh, typewriter ribbon and he looks up at it and he starts reading it and what's written on it is this essay that was written by the previous owner of this typewriter and he gets it studied and he finds out like part of this uh, essay is written from the works of this scientist known as Paulo Zader, who was studying like uh, the strange occurrence of K-Zones, which as Zader has uh, said in his writings that K-Zones are like these sacred barriers where the terrain, if you bury somebody dead in it, you could bring them back from the dead. So Stefano ends up going on a journey and trying to find out if this is great because he's like, oh, I can write my new book on this now. So he's starting to do like a little like uh, research on it and trying to find out the mystery of these Paulo Zader and these K-Zones. And it's pretty much like he's going down like this rabbit hole. And the further he gets into it, the more craziness it gets and the more danger for him and his loved ones. So, yeah, that's pretty much the gist of the plot. Now, like I said, with like it being not like the cover art at all. 
this isn't like if you're expecting like all out zombie gore in this one this isn't that type of film this is more of like a in a sense like kind of like a giallo in a way because of the aspect of him trying to find out what's going on and there are our deaths in the film but they come from like the human people that are trying to like cover this up through the film and it, the tension builds and builds and builds and builds and the thing about this one is if you're not into a fan of like slow burn films this is definitely not the film for you but if you are then you'll have fun with it and be interested in the story because the mystery of it and finding out what these k-zones are and the very interesting thing about this is uh without going little spoiler territory but uh a lot of like the things that the involved in like the plot of this is very similar in a way to Pet Cemetery in a way. And the ironic thing is, this actually came out before Stephen King published that Pet Cemetery because they came out the same year. But this film was in production beforehand before King released that story. So it's very interesting that they kind of share some aspects and like uh, that plot that i'm not going to really give away because they'll pretty much give away so you're what you're saying is stephen king is a plagiarist (laughs) you heard it here first guys Derek. no i didn't say it ernest dickinson did because he's a huge fan of this film (laughs) that's funny because because he's actually a huge fan of all poopy avati's work and he actually did a little segment of this on trillers from hell when he's talking about this movie which i recommend you guys watch really cool like the thing that he talks about zeter and yeah, like I said, it's like a very slow burn and there's some characters and like subplots, which some of them drag, which is kind of the film's fault. But you just curious because of the scientific angle of this and the scientist things and this, the scheming and the backstabbing that happens, and especially like certain characters, like there's this character that I actually, funny enough, nicknamed Terry in the group at one point, fake Don Luigi. <laughs> Because I was watching this movie and I was just nicknaming <laughs> characters. Because <laughs> he kind of reminded me of Terry in a way. <laughs> it kind of looked like him. It's <laughs> awesome. But yeah, but the end of this movie is fucking awesome. And the thing that keeps you intrigued is the fucking musical score is fucking amazing because it's done by Rez Ortolani. And the fucking main theme of this movie fucking kicks ass. Fucking very synth and very organic bass. And it's fucking awesome. So, yeah, I fucking love Zeter. If you're there for the ride, you'll really enjoy this one. So, what do I rate this film? I give it 8.5 out of 10. Highly enjoyed it. So, what did Andy end up rating that film? I think he gave it like a 3. Or <laughs> a 3? Oh, shit. I thought you were serious when you said he liked it. Well, well, like I said, if you know what type of film it is going in, you'll... Because he was thinking of like the Revenge of the Dead cover art. Mm. Yeah. All right, my turn. Uh, the next film I'm talking about is a Patreon pick. Uh, this one from Mark Letham, and for some reason he picked. I don't. Know, I don't know what his thought process was behind giving me this film, <clears throat> but it is Meatball Machine from the year 2005. I believe this is a Japanese film. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's said on Wikipedia that this is actually based on a film from 1999. Hmm. Uh, the director, one of the, the one of the co-directors, made another film in '99, and it's kind of based on this one, or this one's kind of based on that one. Um, anyway, it follows a factory worker 
who is kind of a lame dude and he uh, likes this girl but he's kind of a lame dude so he doesn't have the guts to tell her that he likes her is this guy Johnny? Uh, I said <laughs> lame dude not completely pathetic dude <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, he basically finds this thing this movie's weird he finds this thing it's like a shell looking thing and he takes it to his house and basically keeps it there and then he stops this that girl that he likes from being um raped or something from uh, another one of his co-workers and brings her back to his house and she talks about how like her dad used to like cut her or something i don't know um and uh then that thing that he brought home basically like attacks her and it like has all these like tentacle things and stuff and it, it like grips her up and then sticks like a pointy tentacle up her vagina we, we don't see that part but it opens her legs and you see it like going up that way so um then she turns into this like thing it's like a uh <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be like, like, um, like she's like, like it's a parasite that controls her, but she grows all this stuff on her. It's like kind of like biomechanical almost. And, um, apparently these are like aliens and stuff. And then this other dude whose daughter had also been attacked by this stuff for some reason, which I don't know, infects the guy with it because he has one too or something. Do you guys know? You've seen this. Yeah, it's been a while, though. But what are they called? Necroborgs? Necroborgs, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so he, for some reason, this guy who doesn't like these things decides to create another one. Um, For some reason, I honestly don't know. But the anyway, the guy, the, the lead, the protagonist, ends up getting infected with one. And I think these things are, like, destined to, like, want to kill each other or something like that, maybe. And he basically fights the, the the girl that he likes to the death. Um, and that's kind of the final act of the f- film. Um, these movies are definitely not for me, man. Like, the plot's kind of retarded, honestly. And the reason why I don't like these movies, it's really funny because we talked about it earlier, is nothing looks real. Um, we Like, when I was talking about, like, rubber suits and stuff, like, everything, like, the drill on one of them looks like, like, plastic you know what i mean like i can't take it in any way shape or form realistically like it's just like it's like okay you're battling in plastic suits like this is fucking power ranger level shit like it really is like this looks like it's pulled straight from power rangers um now there is like some gore i think most of it is not good it's okay at best um and i guess if you like like fight scenes that go on forever you might like this i don't necessarily think this movie's bad um because it it's definitely like you know a a type of movie that could be entertaining to a type of person like moods uh but to me it's it's def- it's kind of like trying to separate yourself from your personal bias, which my personal bias is I don't like movies with rubber suited dudes. So if I kind of remove that a little bit, I don't necessarily think this movie is bad. It's a hundred percent bad to me. Um, but I'll come in at like a five out of ten. 
Mm-hmm. Crazy. <clears throat> yeah, I gotta I gotta rewatch it, man. I just remember it being fucking batshit insane, cyberpunky. You know. So- yeah, but it is kind of batshit insane. Like like they like the like they're growing rockets and different things out of their body and stuff. But it all looks fake as fuck. You know what I mean? <laughs> So it's like, so, I don't know how you get in the mindset where you look like, cause I assume that's what you have to do. You have to get in a mindset where it's not fake as fuck looking or like, how does that, how do, how do you enjoy seeing something that just looks I, super phony? I, I just take it for what it is, man. I mean, I'm not looking for, I mean, when I'm going into a film like this, that's going to be that ridiculous. I mean, it, it's totally outrageous. The whole storyline's outrageous and stuff. And I mean, yeah. I mean, I just take it for how it is. I mean, it, it, I mean, it it's, looking kind of shitty at times is actually kind of part of the fun for me. Sometimes, I mean, I look at it, it just makes me laugh. I'm just like, that's fucking ridiculous, yeah. man. But like, I, I take these movies as living like mangas, which are like Japanese comic books in a way, and I just take them as that face. They're like cartoony because they're trying to imitate like that style. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, guess, I mean, I guess so. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. It, the, these movies are like very just not my thing like so, I, I think that they're like like i could like i've seen movies like i'm trying to think of an example but like I, okay Park like Police. something like trauma or something like look at um look at uh poultry guys right like nothing none yeah. of the effects actually look good in that movie but i still love that movie for some reason and i think that I think that the comedy blends in well while the, I don't think this film really like it might be seems, just a style of comedy too, you know. I get like I I think that when you have a gag, like you have like a, a bad-looking effect and you're doing it for comedy, I think that it's, you know, it's all about timing and just, you know, like like the the bad effect being the joke, but it's just like I don't I don't get that vibe in these movies. Like I just get I just get a vibe that it's like because it's kind of played serious, in my opinion. Like it seemed like it's played serious, but just what they're wearing is. I guess I don't like. I I honestly don't like the effect either. Like the tentacle, like like cyberpunky, like anti, like because it's a little too, like. Like if you toned it down a little bit, I think that it would come across less cheesy. Um. It's just like like the eye like even the eye patches look shitty. Like you can make a good eye patch. Like you don't need <laughs> like I don't so, know. Uh, no chance yeah. of watching the sequel. <laughs> I heard that there was you said that there's a sequel from this year. <laughs> these yeah. movies are these movies are a hundred percent not for me. No, I hear yeah, it's it's understandable. I I can see with like these type of ones, these aren't for everyone. Yeah, these are definitely kind of an acquired taste. Yeah. I think. But yeah. So cool. All right. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think that you were going to like that movie <laughs> when I saw it on the list. I didn't I like, hate it, to be honest. Like I, I watched it and I was like, okay, like I actually kind of liked where the setup a little bit, like I thought that go the, the, like the thing like going inside her vagina was great. Um, oh, here was another huge complaint I had of it. So the parasites that are controlling them are inside their bodies every goddamn two seconds it cuts to the inside of the body and those things wiggling around i'm just like you already showed us that yeah quit yeah. showing it to us every two fucking seconds that probably annoyed me more than anything in the movie yeah yeah I, <laughs> um i get that but yeah i mean it wasn't it like i don't know maybe i think that i would like stuff like you know that i've seen 
like the other, like Machine Girl. Like I think I would like those a little bit better. This one just felt more sloppy to me. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool, man. Um, <clears throat> so this is also a Patreon pick. I don't remember who picked this for me. I think it. Oh, I think it was Matt Janoski also. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Um, so from 1981, The Boogans. Man, I haven't watched it's, this movie. I haven't watched this movie since I reviewed it on my 81 series on, on YouTube. It, it was Matt. Yeah. It's so, the Boogans! It's the Boogans. Yeah, man. This was. Uh. I remember when Olive announced this film, everyone's like, yeah, finally, fucking, you know, you know, another. Or it was one of those films I think it was on a lot of people's list to get a release. You know, it was kind of that title at the time. Um, but, you know, it, it's. <laughs> okay, we'll get into it. Um, basically, it's about like these uh, these miner surveyors. They get hired on to take a look at this uh, this abandoned mine if you know if it's worthy of reopening type thing. And of course, uh, they end up kind of releasing these boogans. They start blowing some shit up down there and stuff, and uh, they release these creatures that are, have been actually trapped in there. Uh, see what these boogans? What they have done? They've created like tunnels like underneath the whole the city and stuff that's how they get around and that's how they feed and eat and stuff um but this crazy ass guy he's kind of like the crazy ralph of um the boogans um you know he is responsible for actually keeping all these creatures in there so of course they get you know released and they go on a fucking rampage uh so we follow these like two guys and then their girlfriends come up to colorado to you know visit and stuff for some r&r sex blah 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 um so now we got these boogans that are you know they're out on the loose and they're killing people and shit um this is one of those films one of those creature feature films that uh it's enjoyable to watch but you always want a little bit more it's one of those films that you never get to see the creature until pretty much like the last 20 minutes and when you see the creature it kind of looks rubbery and a little bit shitty um but yeah this one it, it overall is still a pretty decent film i love the the locations they shot this in you know they shot in colorado it's like got a wintry setting and then you know in the mine and things like that which i don't think they shot in a real mine actually it doesn't really look like that at all but um but it's it, it's all in all it's actually a pretty fun film and you know the way the characters actually die in this film too was is a little bit surprising you don't actually expect them to die in that order which I do mm. like. I actually kind of like that about this film. I think it's that's pretty ballsy, actually. You know, a little bit, but um, but you know, it's it's one of those films. There's not really a whole lot to say about it because it's so basic. You know, we're following all these characters, and it takes a long time to kind of get going. It's not overly boring in the first hour of the film. It's just a lot of like kind of build up, and it keeps cutting back character to the, development and stuff like there, that. There's yeah. a lot of character development in this film. I mean, it's following the miners. They keep going back and forth into this into this uh into this mine and then we're following these girls and you know one of the guys goes missing and you know blah 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 and stuff so there's not really a whole lot happening until like the third act and stuff and then we get some carnage which is actually pretty cool um there is a scene where a dog gets killed and it's just like you had to kill the dog didn't you you had to do it (laughs) right uh but um i don't even know how to describe what these monsters actually are these creatures are they're kind of like a they're kind of like a hybrid of a turtle and I would say like maybe an octopus. They have like these long tentacles and shit, but they look like a fucking turtle. It's like it, they are literally <laughs> some of the weirdest looking creatures ever for a creature feature. And they're just named the Boogans, you know. 
Um, it's the bogus! <laughs> right? But, you know, it's still a fun film. You know, it's been a few years since I've watched it. I had fun watching it again, but I just wish that you got to see a little bit more of the Boogans, you know, throughout the film instead of... Because they do, like, a lot of kind of POV style with the with the monsters and stuff. Yeah, and- it's kind of like a creature feature but it feels like a slasher it does aspects. it does yeah it's very pov slasher kind of feel and but yeah and then you never get to see them and you know yeah. it's it's still a fun film it's got a pretty it's got a decent soundtrack to it. it's actually acted pretty well for what it is um you know like i said the locations and stuff it's all in all a pretty well-made film i just you know again the creatures man when you get to see them it's a little bit unsatisfying because they look so funny a little bit rubbery and shit but you know, it's still fun. It's still fun. Um, I have no idea what I originally rated this film on um, 81 series. Not even a fucking slight clue. But I'm going to come in about a 6.5 out of 10. It's still a fun watch, but yeah, man. I think you gave it an 8. Did I? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's definitely not as good as like I probably remembered it to be, you know? But it's still it's still a fun film. Yeah, I love the old dude because it's the fucking old dude from Creepshow. Yeah, man. Like the like the kind of like Adelia, the where's my cake? He's like the crazy Ralph character, man. He's just yeah. it, it's funny how they introduce this character too, because like we're following these miners and we got these guys, these young guys and these girls and stuff, and then we got this fucking crazy dude who's just like lurking around. They never like fully introduce him. Cause you don't really yeah. actually know who he is until like the end when he kind of explains he's like, Yeah, you guys you guys went in there blowing some shit up. I had these things all trapped and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even know it was the guy from Creepshow until he started talking. And he was like, it's the Bogan! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's the Boogans from 1981. Derek. Okay. Yeah. Final film of the night. And, of course, I brought an Asian film to you guys. And I think you guys know this one very well. It's the only Asian film. I wanted to review Asian film, and it's the only one I got to watch this week because I've seen it plenty of times. I wanted to revisit this one. And as Brandon or Jeremy would say, I wanted to get my Jew on. 2002, Jew on the Grudge. Yeah, like, we all know the story about the, the cursed house that was made this curse happen with, like, this ramaged family that was brutally murdered and father killed them all and committed suicide that's no spoiler it's been told like numerous times and podcasts and podcasts and dave z of course (laughs) but funny story about this film without giving too much away about it the first time i ever seen this film i actually wasn't the biggest fan of it because i wasn't really into asian horror the first time i seen this film so this is actually kind of weird that this is actually the film that kind of got me into Asian horror. And I didn't really care for it, but I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And I started to learn more about the film and stuff. And I figured out, like, this film is actually told in, a, like, a non-linear sense. Where not it's not really, like, a linear story. It's, like, all over the place with its plot. Especially with, like, the aspect of, like, it's kind of like in... Did you ever see the movie 21 Grams? Yep. Yeah, it's kind of like that in the aspect, like how that story is told. So, yeah, if you not known like the nonlinear style, this film might be kind of confusing for you. But interesting enough, there's a, a show that I listened to on this film where I actually finally figured out how this film was like told and stuff. Hero Hero Gosho, which is a Asian horror podcast on Legion, and uh, 
they actually explained like the whole film and linear, which was kind of cool to hear because you never know which stories come first and stuff and stuff like that. So pretty much what I have to say with this film, it's a film that grew on me over years of rewatching it. And like, it took me a while to really appreciate this film for what it was because it takes from a lot of like different, like, uh, j-horror films that come before like especially like quiet on with like it's opening like scroll about telling you what the curse is it's very reminiscent of like uh how quiet on was telling it's like anthology stories have you just seen that film moods uh which one quiet on the anthology from the 60s oh yeah 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 quite on yeah it's totally awesome man i love that film. yeah it kind of it kind of has like that similar like scroll with it's telling you about the curse yeah okay yeah, because it's very influential by that and other like J horror films, especially like a uh, Snake Woman's Curse and numerous other ones from that time period. And yeah. it's like all those films that I see in this one and the films that this one influenced also that really make it like a very emotional film. And this film's one that like even like a few years ago, I was saying it was overrated because I liked a lot of more Asian horror films for this and it took me finally this year to really appreciate what it was and it's a really phenomenal film really great like way that they interact with the japanese subculture especially the way that kiaiko and uh toshio look because they are pretty much reminiscent of like kabuki theater especially with the the white face it's a if you've never seen like a kabuki theater aspect uh, they represent death with white faces and kabuki theater which they do in this film which did they in kabuki theater did they have the flesh tone shining through the white paint yeah because there's actors playing the <laughs> roles oh so it's not ghosts <laughs> of course of i'm course. looking at a picture right now of the little ghost boy and his ear is flesh toned on the inside and the outside is white that is bad just saying well they weren't done just with the saying. makeup <laughs> that then they should have shot the scene. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, because it's about theater oh. aspects. It's reminiscent of the theater, so there's nothing to do with what the makeup looks like. It's I'm just talking about. That... In, I was dissing the Juan film. Of course you were. <laughs> <laughs> but I like to say that this film is fucking awesome. It. I do have one issue with it. Some of the editing is kind of overdone, like flash editing, which yeah, I can't fucking shitty ass saw ed- editing, right? It's not overdone. I think it works better in some aspects with like scenery and scenes like that. Like it works more in some scenes, and some scenes I think it's overdone in. But other than that, highly enjoyable film. I have no real issues with it. Nine point five out of ten, Juwan. Uh, why did you have to review that one? Yuck. 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 So that actually would make the Hall of Fame. Begrudgingly. See what I did there? Begrudgingly. Is it really? Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I believe with... Because as soon as he brought it up, I was like, oh, bet this makes the Hall of Fame. 10 from Dave plus 9.5 from 10 out of 10 Derek plus 8 damn it plus 
Dave gave it 10 out of 10? 8. This is number one of the year. Yeah, plus 8.5 for Brandon. I remember. Gets exactly 28 out of 30. So, welcome edition, the Juon film that's clearly not as good as these two fucks think it is, into the Hall of Fame. I'm salty. (laughs) 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 Hey, man, you're you're the one that allowed, like, the guest ratings to be in effect, you know, for the Hall of Fame. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, actually. I believe that we said one of us have to be in the rating for it to count. One of the main three hosts. Yeah. What? Who were the three? So it'd be Dave, Brandon, and Derek. Yeah, that is true. That was so. It is up in the air if this counts. We'll see. We'll debate it. What do you listeners think? We'll ask the listeners. Should a film be able to get into the Hall of Fame without at least one of the main hosts uh, being part of that rating? Let us know. All right. JP. All right. All right. So uh, my film here is a pick of the week here. And once again, getting my 2017 on... Uh, I watched a film called Super Dark Times from 2017. Uh, And this film follows a couple of teenagers. uh, I would probably say about like 14 or 15, probably. Um, And they uh, are kind of... And listen, I'm going to be super vague on this film because I think that it's very spoiler um like it could it could it could really ruin your enjoyment of the movie if you kind of spoil things uh but it, it's set in the 90s it follows these three the, these uh group of younger kids there's more than three um but mainly two um primary characters who are best friends and uh they kind of hang out with a couple other kids doing just kids stuff man like uh, you know, looking at yearbooks, talking about which girl you think's the hottest, or playing uh, PlayStation One, or you know, going out and riding bikes, or standing outside of the girl's house you like and yelling penis real loud. You know, regular shit. And uh, something very unfortunate happens to this uh, group of kids, uh, and then it's basically a film about them dealing with it. And I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, this movie, to me, is definitely a contender for uh, the top ten of the year. Um, I loved pretty much everything about it. Like I don't really have many complaints, if any at all. I thought that the setting was great. I thought that the um, incorporation of uh, now two films that I really liked the dream sequences in in this film as I did with another film this year. I think that they did a great job of blending the subconscious with um, what you're uh, worried about, you know, with uh, what happens to these people, the paranoia seeping into your dreams at night, which, uh, you know, anytime I have something really big on my mind, I dream about it. So it like totally um, captured that that feeling. Uh, it's it's a movie that um, does a fantastic job in creating its 
um, sort of uh, era that it's in, you know, the, the 90s. Like, it feels like the 90s. Like, even some of the music that is used in it is, is like, straight from, like, bands and, and artists that are um, a little lesser known, like, 90s songs. And uh, it, it has a great um, scope to it. There's a lot of great shots um, of fields and, and sort of these kids wandering around these, like, wide-angle shots and and uh, I thought the acting was phenomenal. Um, the uh, lead characters are are so good. Like the casting is amazing. Um, the 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 lead protagonist is great. The um, his best friend is maybe even better. Uh, and then uh, the girl, the love interest, is amazing as well. She like has this dreamy like girl next door vibe to her, uh but she's kind of a cool chick too. Like she kind of is is down to like party a little bit and stuff like that. Totally reminded me of just growing up, man. Being being 15, 16, you know, growing up and and just kind of uh you know, living and then not not like me, but if something tragic happened to me, I feel like I would react like almost uh, exactly the same way. Uh I feel like that what happens to these kids is played so realistic to where it actually is, you know, frightening that I think that this is exactly how, how, how things could play out. And, um, I think that this movie is, is one of the best of the year. Uh, I tweeted out that, uh, I seen, you know, get out and it and raw and this movie made me, um, you know, more uncomfortable, like more, uh, anxiety driven than those films. Uh, there was one other film that did it more, but you know, uh, and it, it was pretty cool. It got a ton of reactions actually for uh, on Twitter. Um, the the director and the the, the female star and stuff uh, retweeted and liked the tweet and stuff like that. So um, it's pretty cool that they're listening out there. But yeah, I, I love this movie. I'm um, coming in at a solid nine out of ten. It is available to watch um, to rent on Amazon. Uh, for like six bucks or something like that so so definitely check it out highly recommend it it's a cross between like mean creek stand by me um and you know all those even it and and stranger things you know it has that that total vibe that everybody's been craving nowadays definitely check it out hmm. yeah i mean i was yeah. pretty pretty opposite on a lot of things that you said man um I, I wasn't the whole like the way everything kind of plays out, man. I wasn't feeling it whatsoever. I think the '90s is is a really tough decade to set a film in because it's not that distinctive. Soundtrack wise, yeah, it it definitely screams the '90s, but um, as like visually, I mean, it it, it looks more. 2000 i mean it could be from that era too it's because of the things that they're doing right yeah yeah. nobody in 2000s is going out riding bikes and and cutting milk jugs with samurai swords you know what i mean they're they're texting and and all that stuff first of all who the fuck has a sword anyways i have a bunch (laughs) really i swear to god i have i have about like 10 in the house maybe that's just insane yeah, my paps is, collects collects them. So well, I mean, it's different, I guess, if you're a collector. But well, I mean, he he's given me them a lot, a few of them. So yeah, I mean, um, I think that I, I think you're right. Like the '90s doesn't have like a great visual sense, like the '80s, like the big hair stuff like that. Um, but I thought I thought that like the games that they're playing and stuff, like the game that the kids playing is Twisted Metal. Like that was me. I was sitting there playing Twisted Metal, not going to school. Like that was me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, that's that's one of my favorite games, and uh, 
uh, the, like the the scrambled porn like that's so of the 90s you know what i mean that's yeah. that's i remember i mean that. i used to do that shit all the time yeah you know what I mean? yeah, yeah um, i guess but, i just i guess i just didn't buy into the way everything played out as much as you did i guess i just it didn't seem that believable to me man i I understand where some people are coming from with you know what happens in the end of the film and stuff like that but i mean i I was just like what it just seemed like i think you're kind of looking at it wrong like i think what you're doing is you're looking at it as if uh somebody went insane or something like that when that's not in fact what happened it's just a loose cannon yeah, I know. I know exactly what happened, but I just I still wasn't buying into it. I'm just like, it seems so fucking drastic, right? Not really. Like they said, like and I'm trying to be very ambiguous. Well, I with think this, it but, is. I think but, it's completely but, over the top. Like I, I just I couldn't imagine. I mean, I understand. Yeah, the stress from the situation that they've been put in can do real damaging, you know, things to your to your mental health. For sure. I mean, because yeah. you're dealing with a lot. Stress is a motherfucker, right? You mm-hmm. you often do things that you probably wouldn't do when you're stressed out or say things. And, you know, and this yeah. could very well, very well be the result of, you know, being completely stressed out and, and of given the situation you've been put in. But, I mean, it, to me, it's just like, holy fuck. I mean, there's still a reality there. There still yeah, is a it's reality. it's very realistic. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how like, you look, look at it. Look at look at look at like any incident that's happened in in history with with any young youths, young youths with any youths. <laughs> um, I guess a young youth would be like a toddler or something. But any youths that have done anything, you know, that that is that is vile and disgusting or, or bad, right? Like, mm-hmm. like so often you hear that like, oh, they were kind of they were kind of normal, maybe a little bit, you know off kilter yeah. things like that but it's 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 like never like this fan fantastical like fantasy world of like craziness and and like i don't know to me it's like if you took like i don't know the combine kids or something and then put them in this situation beforehand maybe um you know I, like it's it's there's all types of people in the world and and uh this this what happens in this film is nowhere even even I mean, way worse stuff has happened that's, yeah. that, that actually happened in, in life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. But I gave it a 9 out of 10. I know you came in way lower. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, so... Yeah, I was, like, <laughs> significantly lower than that. That's crazy. I gave like I, a I know a couple people that are even higher than me. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I don't know. I... I mean that's good. I, that that's good that you that you saw it differently than I did. But I I just was having a hard time. Just yeah, I watched this at two a.m. and I was like, oh, let me just throw this on, like, kind of lay down and relax. I was fucking wide eyed by, you know, halfway through the movie, and I was just like sitting up, like, on the edge of my seat to it see what happened. Next. Pretty much did the opposite <laughs> to me, man. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can see the, I can see why people would, you know, really dig the film, but. For myself, I, I just it wasn't. It was just it wasn't believable to me, man. I think Listen, that's the biggest problem. Brandon with it. is the jaded one, not you. So I expect yeah. I expect more from you. <laughs> <laughs> but you and Brandon are both like the same on the year, though. So yeah, I know it, it is. It is. It is kinda, interesting. Yeah, I'm, is. you guys are kind of lining up with a lot of things. Um. Yeah, man. Okay. On that note, uh, speaking of 2017. 
we finally got a brand new film from Joe Lynch, and it's called Mayhem. Oh, you checked it out. Nice. Yeah, man. Hey, it post on Letterboxd that you watched it and, and rate it, and he'll like your rating. I've noticed that. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I was, like, super stoked. I was like, Joe Lynch is doing a film, and it's kind of like – it's kind of like a battle Royale meets office space type film. I mean, we've had another film like this this year with uh, the Belco experiment, which is essentially more or less like battle Royale meets office space type thing. But yeah. I think- and you know what? He mentioned this on the movie crypt. Cause like where I am right now, like, uh, that Belco just came out and, um, this film was premiering at fantastic fest, like the next day or oh, something. Fuck. So like, these were both in production at the same time. It was kind of an interesting story. Yeah, but, you know this one. This one is, in my opinion, way way superior to the Belco experiment. Thank God, I was hoping, man, because I I like the Belco experiment. I thought it was like a, a decent, like fun, like popcorn movie. But like when people were some of the ratings that I was hearing were crazy. I was like, you guys really like that movie that much? Yeah. And I was hoping that Mayhem would be like the better version of that. It is, man. I, I like the setup a lot better in this one. I mean, the Belco experiment is a little bit ambiguous, you know, when it comes to pulling out exactly what was going down in that thing um with with mayhem i think it's a really intelligent setup because basically we have uh, our main character his name is Derek cho uh played by stephen young uh the guy from the walking dead the asian guy oh no shit is our lead character in this film but anyways he plays a uh he plays a lawyer and he works in like this big lawyer corporate building and stuff and what you know, the short and long of it basically is um, he gets fucked over by another lawyer in there and he essentially gets fired from his job. Right. And so now he's mm-hmm. like insanely fucking pissed off at like everybody because he's like, I didn't fuck this up. You did. I took all the rap for it and now I'm out of a fucking job. So meanwhile, while this is happening, there's some type of weird kind of virus, like, you know, airborne virus that kind of seeps into this building. And what it does, it attacks your brain. Um, and it makes you kind of go essentially insane. It makes you kind of act upon all your built up, you know, aggression that's that you have inside your body. And, you know, you don't turn into a zombie or anything. It just it makes you go fucking batshit crazy and actually start taking it out on people and shit like that. So so I like the setup. You know, we've got you know, this guy just got fucked over in his job and now he's got a reason to get some revenge against the shitty ass boss and shitty ass uh, co-workers and stuff. So. So that's the setup to the film. Yes, it is, uh, you know, a contained horror film. It takes place all in a building. It's kind of got that battle royale type feel to it, but it's not like that. It's not every, it, you know, it's not a battle to the death type thing. It's more or less people just, you know, taking out their aggressions on their in, their fellow employees and shit. And I think this is brilliant because in that lawyer corporate world, there's a lot of backstabbing. There's a lot of that type of built up shit that just happens every day to these type of people right so i love the the setup is fucking brilliant to me man having this to do with lawyers and shit is awesome um but yeah man the performances are fucking excellent in this film everybody does such a good job man Derek cho knocks it out the fucking park in this he's got he just absolutely knocks out the park uh samara weaving man she plays this character melanie she's kind of like his sidekick you know um, there's a really cool bond between these two characters because he kind of essentially fucked her over a little bit who then they kind of reconcile and they kind of work together and stuff the boss is played by steven brand who does a great fucking job he's such a such an asshole lunatic there's a great fucking scene in this film where <laughs> where he's talking to this corporation on the kind of like a skype phone and he 
all of a sudden just kind of ducks down. You know, he goes off camera for a little bit and he just, he does this huge line of blow and it just completely made me fucking laugh. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is a pretty high octane film, man. There's a lot of like, you know, violent aggression that's showcased in this one. But you know what's so awesome about these type of contained films? Uh, that can, I mean, that can separate the good and the bad is I find when a movie like this has really shitty dialogue, it can really bog down the film. Joe Lynch fucking wrote some amazing dialogue. He didn't make this thing silly and campy. It's really dark humor. It's not as silly as I was expecting to be. I mean, considering I've been, you know, watching Holliston, I was kind of thinking maybe that the comedy was going to be on that Holliston type level, you know, a little bit sillier, just more straight up comedy. But this is no, it plays on the dark edge of reality. And, and so I like that angle that, that Joe Lynch took with it. But the, the, you know, there's actually a part in this film where, where Derek, you know, he turns to, to the girl and he goes, you know, top five artists or favorite bands, <laughs> you know, kind of thing, right? I just love that type of shit, man. It comes out of nowhere and they start <laughs> talking about it and shit. But yeah, the dialogue is fucking phenomenal in this film. Really, really good stuff. And it's got a great ending, too. It's got a fantastic ending. Totally didn't let me down. I thought it was awesome. Um, one other actually interesting aspect of this is that when, you know, the uh, when they, they quarantine this building and they give them basically eight hours. They're like, okay, so this virus is going to come in. It's going to, you know, take your body or, you know, it's going to infect you for about eight hours and it's probably clear out kind of thing. So basically this whole uh, film basically takes place in like this eight hour type period. And I like that, too, because it has kind of this kind of this countdown and shit like that. And um, but yeah, really fucking awesome film, man. I think there's just so much mayhem, so much awesome shit for lack of a better term, there is a lot of mayhem in this. It's pretty cool, but uh, awesome setup. Mad props to Joe Lynch for doing this film. It's so superior to the Belko experiment. If you want a good office-contained horror film this year, check out this one. Um, JP, I think you'll actually really appreciate this one. It's Because I, I remember when you first said, you're like, oh, it's, you know, it's kind of a comedy. That sucks and all that sucks. But it's like a really dark comedy, and it's not yeah. silly and over the top. So it actually does work on all levels. I mean, there's a lot of really great dialogue in this film that just you know it's corporate stuff and everything that they're saying and you know the, the situations that are brought out from that dialogue it, it just completely makes sense it actually completely makes sense for all these characters and stuff like that so that i really enjoyed that man i was you know paying a lot of attention to that to the fine details but um i'm, I'm glad to see joe lynch like working more consistently because if you remember it was 2007 when he made his debut at wrong turn two and yeah. then he did he didn't do anything else until 2011 with his Chillerama segment. And then yeah, yeah. Um, Nights of Bad Aston was like a complete like fail. And then he did Everly like right after that. And then Mayhem just a couple years later after that. And I think he's in pre-production on his next film, which is called Taste, mm-hmm. I believe. So yeah. uh, real, I'm, I'm glad. And from what, you, from what it sounds like is he's definitely progressing as a filmmaker too. Yeah, man, I, I was, I mean, he actually didn't, you know, write the script for this, but I mean, you can tell he probably had a little bit of influence, especially with some of that dialogue. It just seems so Joe Lynch, you know, to have in there. I think, mm-hmm. I think it was just, it was fucking awesome. But yeah, this one is, it's a fun movie, man. And it rips by too, man. You know, it, it, it's just under 90 minutes, but it's just like no downtime in it, which is really good. And Joe Lynch himself actually has a great cameo in this film too. He plays like the, the computer tech in this. And it's, <laughs> it's just a phenomenal cameo scene too. He's awesome in it. It's so funny. 
and witty and shit like that. And it, <laughs> what they do to this one boss is just fucking, it's totally awesome. Totally awesome stuff. Uh, but yeah, Mayhem, man, I'm coming in at about a 9 out of 10 on this one. I fucking loved wow. it. It was excellent. Really, really good film. Wow. It surprised the shit it out of me, actually. Up. It actually surprised the shit out of me at how much I liked it. I was, because I was like, you know, coming off the Belco experiment, I'm like, really? Another film with like pretty much the same premise type thing? Um, so I just went into it, you know, kind of blind and cold and fuck, really liked it, man. Nice. So that's gonna, gonna be a, check that out. Yeah, it's pick of the week, man. Mayhem. Yeah, check I'll definitely. Out. You know, my top ten is getting pretty. If I <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, ho- hopefully, I like this one. But um, I think my top ten is pretty competitive right now. Yeah, I think you'll like this film. All right, cool. So yeah, that is what we watched. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Oh yeah, time for some featured reviews, courtesy of the man who is guest hosting on the show tonight, Derek. Yeah. Yeah, man, this was actually a Patreon trilogy pick for you. Um, I don't think it was, I don't think we had actually meant to have you on the show right from the start, right? Yeah. I guess not. I don't know. I don't know how that works. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, I mean, yeah, the Patreon pick and you end up being on the show. That's pretty damn cool. So, of yeah, course, so it's it, like, it's, yeah, man, it, it actually worked out great. It actually worked out great. So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, of course, uh, director spotlight for Gene Rowland. Yes, the which French, is, which is one that you've been dying to do for a while. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Of course, you know, Jeremy being the big, you know, the big French uh, film fan, you know, he just, this was probably like the least thing he wanted to do. And I'm just like, but they're French films though, man. You know? Yeah. That is funny. I didn't realize that the, I didn't really, I don't know if I knew that these were French until I started watching them. I mean, you guys might've said something, but yeah, yeah, that is funny actually. I know. I thought it was intriguing that he was like, I don't want to fucking do this, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, but they're French, man. Um, but yeah, man, Gene Roland, uh, who passed when, when did Gene Roland pass away? In 2010? Actually, actually, ironically, his anniversary for his death is coming next week on Friday the 15th. Actually, it is, man. Friday the 15th. He passed away at the young age of 72. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> the young age of 72. But Gene Roland. Uh, yeah, man, he was a pretty intriguing, you know, director, actually. He was a very, I would say more or less more of a visual type director. Would you agree with that? I would, yes. He was definitely like, I mean, I would even, you know, even put him into an area almost like a, uh, almost like art house in in a sense, you know, like, yeah, I mean, some of his, like, Films are very art housey, very art housey, and uh, he's this guy, very visual art house, and he's. I think Gene Roland makes some of the quietest films. Like he's not one of those guys that overpowers his films with scores and things like that. He he relies on like you know the visuals and the ambient sounds and stuff. He's in. He's an interesting director, man, and that's what I I think that's why I'm kind of drawn to his films because I like that style. It just it feels different to me when you watch his movies. 
You know, it's it not, does. It's not the same old so, thing, and I think that's why he he sticks out to me because I just when you watch, like, I was the very first thing I noticed when I first got introduced to Gene Rowland films. I started watching them, going, "Man, he is a he's a, a really quiet director." It's interesting. So, but yeah. So, um, question: uh, Why did you pick these three films? Because I see he has quite an extensive filmography, fifty-two credits. Um. Any any reason behind these three specific films, Derek? I know Moods is a big fan of these films, and I knew he wanted to talk about these. I think, um, yeah. Well, we were we were discussing it, and I think I think these three films were uh, a decent trio because they're three of different films. I mean, I, the Iron Rose, which is going to be the first up here from 1973, was Gene Rowland's very first non-vampire film. Right, his yeah. first like four or five films were all vampire-based type films. So this one is obviously not a vampire film. And then Corpus Lips of Blood deals with vampirism, and then Grapes of Death is more of like a, you know, kind of like an infection type film. Um, so I mean, they were they, essentially they were all different, you know. Yeah, I could have like picked, a mixture of different things. Yeah, instead of watching like three vampire films, you know what I mean? Especially like you know his early ones too, because they're. You know, to to review all three, you know, three of his early vampire films would be very similar reviews, you know, <laughs> you know, essentially. So, uh, but yeah, anyways, 1973, The Iron Rose, quick little synopsis here. A young couple out for a walk decide, which is not true. They were not out for a walk. They actually were on a bike ride. So a young couple yeah. who was out on a bike ride decide to take a stroll through a large cemetery. As darkness begins to fall, they realize they can't find their way out. And soon, their fears begin to overtake them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man, the Iron Rose. Very, very simple setup to a film, basically, about a couple that meets at a uh, at a dinner. Wedding. Yeah, like, I think it's a wedding. Yeah, I think, it, yeah it, it was is, like a wedding. Yeah, at the dinner party. And... Um, in like a very odd scene too. I always thought this scene was so strange where our lead character, he just kind of stands up and just like starts reciting this poem to this girl across the room. <laughs> like, who mm-hmm. does? I mean, that takes a lot of fucking balls just to do that in front of everybody. You know, yeah. I mean, she could basically kind of laugh at you or whatever, but yeah, this is essentially how he picks her up. And then they go on this date, like right after it's, it's, yeah. I mean, take a date at the train ride and they go on a little bike ride, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I you know, I think that the interesting do the do the characters actually have names in this film? Actually, we do find out the girl's name, but it's at the very end. Do we find yeah. out what it is? Oh it's yeah, Karina. that's right. That's right. We do. That's right. Okay. It says on IMDb the cast. It's the girl, the boy, lady at the cemetery, and the clown. Yeah, it actually it actually does that. It scroll down the girl and the boy. <laughs> that's that's funny. Um, but yeah, no, I mean going back to Gene Roland and being a very visual filmmaker. I mean this is a great example of a film that really just relies on its setting and its visuals and you know it's. Uh, I mean basically what he was going for. The Iron Rose is actually based on a short story. I can't remember who the short story is written by, but um, it was based on a short story. So I was going to say like watching this movie, um, I thought that it like, this is a movie that could have been like a masters of horror episode or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of interesting that he stretched it out into like a 80 minute film. Mm-hmm. Um, actually it's even longer than that, but, uh, Cause it's a very simplistic film. Like it's, 
it, it's two it's two people walking around in a cemetery it is it is a very yeah. it's, it's a very simplistic idea but it does have a lot of substance to it i mean there's a lot of you know kind of underlying messages and things and i mean it's it's you know essentially you know it's questioning these people's beliefs mm-hmm. you know essentially what it is it's it's a very nihilistic film you know our our lead character the boy like he you know he doesn't want to believe in like you know eternal life and you know anything to do with death and things like that and and that's essentially what the characters are kind of put to the test in this film um it's just it, the movie's a huge metaphor for like eternal life you know yeah so i i like that i like that approach it's very simple but it's it's very prevalent in it because even though there's not a whole lot of dialogue in this film which is another prevalent thing in gene roland films there's not like an abundance of dialogue i don't know if you guys noticed in these three films rewatching them uh, mm-hmm. Well, for us, anyways, mm-hmm. or UJP, like there's not a ton of dialogue in the films, but you do get the gist, gist of what they're trying to portray here with the, um, you know, with the metaphor for the mm-hmm. internal life. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely noticed that there was uh, very low amounts of actually spoken dialogue in the film. Um, mm-hmm. I especially noticed that when it's a subtitled film, because I realized that I'm, I'm, I'm not reading so much. Yeah, 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 and yeah. and you know, and I will say, man, I'll give all the props in the world to Redemption, uh, the Kino line that put out these films. They did a good job mm-hmm. with the with the um, the subtitles too, man. They you know, like when you watch some t- subtitled films, the subtitles like they just move too quickly, they take them off the screen too fast. Yeah, you know, or or they're a little bit off centered. You know, things are just kind of you can just tell that something's not right. Uh, these ones are really well done on all these films. Kino knocked it out of the park with that, which is always nice when you're watching these, but you know, go figure they've knocked it out of the park for a film that doesn't really have a lot of dialogue to start with, <laughs> you know, which again, helps too. Cause you know, like when you do have like lines of dialogue, you have them there. And so you can read them, you know, they don't yeah, go yeah. away right away. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Um, but yeah, what's your guys' thoughts on this film, man? JP. Um, first time so, watch for you. Yeah, all three of these first time watches. Actually, um, two of them are available on Shutter. If you guys want to check them out, uh, the Iron Rose as well as Lips of Blood are on Shutter. The third film, which is the second one we'll be covering, Grapes of Death, not on Shutter, except for that it says that it's on Shutter, except for it's not on Shutter. They lied to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's random. I actually had to. That one cost six dollars to rent, so. Um, if you want to do that, uh, you also the the redemptions are like between fifteen and twenty bucks, I believe. Uh, so the Iron Rose. Um, question right away. Um, yeah. Why why are they not leaving the cemetery? Because they can't find their way out. So they, it's a it's a massive cemetery. So they travel the ways and go up the hill and stuff, and then they yeah, but they come script. to like so many fences. But the, it's not the main gate fences. It's because it's a huge cemetery. This is Amiens Cemetery in France, where actually Jules Verne's is buried. I I know the cemetery very well because I used to study Jules Verne, and he was rest yeah. in praise. It's huge. Yeah. It's massive. It's like cemeteries at the cemeteries. It's like different cemeteries inside of one giant cemetery. But they okay. also would, they also uh, allude to the fact that they not only get lost in the cemetery, but the cemetery is kind of holding them in there too. So I was going to ask if it is supernatural at all. Like, that's kind of what I was thinking that it might have been if it because, like, I don't know. I think that if it is supernatural, it kind of fixes itself. But if it's not, then it kind of I think they could have he could uh, Gene Rowland could have did a better job of, like, displaying scope because um, 
you know, a lot of the times when I was watching it, I was like, look, it looks like there's the fence to the outside right there. Why don't they just climb over it? You know what I mean? Well, like, no, there, so. there is moments in the film where they're coming to different fences. It's kind of like separated, you know, like there's yeah. like, there's like different crip areas and stuff. And they actually do showcase the one scene where the male, he jumps over the fence and then he's kind of like behind her again and stuff. So maybe there is like a little bit of a supernatural thing happening there. Um, which is putting them to the test with, you know, it's questioning their, their morals and, you know, and, you know, just everything to do yeah, with eternal life and stuff. Like, so it's, it's making them make choices. And now, what do you mean by eternal life? Like, are you talking about like heaven? Yeah. Well, just, it just death in, in general. Like, I don't think that he believes that there's any, there's anything past. Death. Well, yeah, he, he says that specifically in the film, I believe he's yeah. like, you just rot on the ground. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he, he's basically saying, yeah. So when you die, that's the end of you and stuff. And, but I mean, if you're if you're a believer, where you know, I think that's what it's implying is that, you know, it actually there is eternal life, and it's it's making them question it, you know, by holding them there and stuff. So, and it's not like they didn't try the hot fences because there's one scene where they think they find the fence and they jump it in and it leads to another cemetery. Exactly, exactly. It's like a totally okay. Different I must. Crypt area. I probably missed that. Yeah, it, yeah they, they, they end up in like a different kind of crypt area, and and, and, so, and the key actually even freaks out too. He's like, "What the fuck." And he like starts so, screaming and shit. So, um, I know that the the main reason these guys are stuck in here is because they decide to like get get nasty in the cr- in the crypt below. <laughs> Who does yeah, that? <laughs> which is and like they, so morbid in itself. I don't know what's worse: the fact that you know that they actually went into the crypt, but they're like fucking in there too. Yeah, that's really like, just the stuff. idea of going into uh you know an underground crypt thing. I mean. <laughs> I don't know why you would ever subject yourself to that. It just seems so morally I think wrong. The, I think I think when the crazy weird bishop character came on, I was like, oh, maybe this is a good idea. Who was actually played by Gene Rolla. He was that yeah, crazy yeah. guy that that's right. guy that was staring him down. So um, besides that, another question I had was, um, what's up with them like making out or whatever? in like that grave with all the skeletons. <laughs> I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I guess when you're in a cemetery, the only places you could really do that, I guess would be I, yeah, I but like, weren't they like, like, I don't know. It just didn't seem like that's something that that girl would be down for. Well, I mean, well, the thing her, I- her whole thing changes throughout the film. Like at the beginning of the film, she's very hesitant about death and stuff, especially when she gets into the cemetery and she was scared to go into the crypt too. But then as the film progresses, she's getting more involved with death. Yeah. So she's completely down for it. Exactly. Yeah. Cause you, you actually see her character change throughout the film. She goes mm-hmm. from that very kind of naive character to like someone that's okay. I can deal with this thing, you know. Um, but I, I so what? What's the uh, what's the reason for her choice at the that she makes with the guy? I think it's because she. I mean, are we getting into spoilers here? Um, can you do it without spoiling, or do you have to? Well, I mean. I don't know. Um, it's, it's this is kind of a toughy one, you know. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of how I could word it, but um, I mean, essentially, I think maybe. I mean, she was testing. She's testing what now she believes to be, you know, that there actually is eternal life and stuff, and maybe she's using him as a test. Um, so that's why she does it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it would make perfect sense, right? Because, you know, someone that generally was not really a believer or whatever to actually mm-hmm. test this now, 
given the opportunity to actually do it, I mean, that would make a little bit of sense. That's how I interpret it anyways. I don't know about you guys. Um, what do you think about it, Derek? The, I mean, me personally, the only thing I, I like, I just assume she like, she's going crazy. Like that's kind of what I was. It, it could be a mixture of both because you can see her character changing and stuff mm-hmm. throughout the film. Yeah. And like I said before and stuff, she's just getting more down what she actually ends up believing with like the eternal life mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. So it finally makes that final decision to test it and stuff. Like, without do, going do you think crazy. that, do you think that it's believable that she did that she would do that? Well, I mean, if you look at it from this standpoint, it's not like she's emotionally attached to this guy. I mean, she theoretically just met him. So yeah, I mean, it's a I first mean, time date, yeah. So I think that she's not actually emotionally attached to him. I mean, we don't know her history if she actually is a little bit crazy or anything. Um, mm. But we do know that she's not emotionally attached to this guy. So it would make more sense that she would actually go through with doing something like that, considering she's not like you know, in love with the dude. Um, okay. Let me ask you this. Okay. Like the film that we talked about earlier, uh, um, super dark times. Yeah. So, uh, do you, so that was unbelievable, but this is believable. Why not? I mean, yeah. I mean, because I, like she, the, the, like my thing is like, what, what, like why? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why like why would you it's, be, it's because you know. she's been overcame i mean the, the, i mean once they're trapped in the cemetery it's it's almost like a force has taken over and it's testing them right okay so supernatural okay if it is supernatural i could buy it you know what i mean because like that's what i, I was kind of either thinking like she went mad which in case like if she did i don't think it was like set up super well no, to, no, to kind of dictate that but if it is supernatural and like there's some kind of force guiding her some kind of curse or spell or something then then okay i could buy that i think it is man i think it is a little bit of uh like a force i mean when you have two very nihilistic type people put into a situation and that and that's the whole point of it right is is to test these people so things are going to change and i i think so i think that's what it is so it makes good sense uh, i really like the setting to this film honestly like i was like okay this is this is like I didn't know that the whole movie was going to take place in this cemetery, but once we got kind of far into it and I was like, Oh, I think this is like the only set. Like, I don't think they're, I think this is where it's going to end. Like, yeah. I was like, Oh, this is really neat. It's like kind of like, it kept reminding me of like something that you would see in like a anthology TV series yeah. or something like that. And I was I like, Oh, this is like, this would be like one of my favorite episodes. Like, cause it's just like set in a cemetery. It's like kind of, kind of dark and like almost like gothic like, and it just was like a, a really cool setting. And honestly, like I didn't get bored with people just walking around in a cemetery because that's pretty much what what happens for the most part in this movie is it's like yeah. there's this very little dialogue. It's just like people walking around in a creepy ass cemetery. And yeah. I was kind of down with that. I know it, it's a very quiet <laughs> yeah, atmospheric, very, imi- very like, quiet yeah, atmospheric. Wait. Yeah. Just the way Roland does the imagery is just amazing with the atmosphere and just the scope of the cemetery is just amazing because you're just looking behind it and stuff and seeing like numerous like graves and headstones and the imagery of like the characters interacting with the headstones and stuff too is really cool. Yeah. It it almost made me think like, Oh, like why could like this, like why didn't I think it just making a movie where two people get stuck in a cemetery, like kind of writes itself. Like it's kind of creepy. It's, it's cool. It's like the atmosphere is thick. I, I really like the, the setup. To this one i like the time of year that they they film this too like it just it has this very you know dark atmospheric feel to it but it's like really 
you know, it almost seems like it's in the fall time, maybe because there's fucking mm-hmm. leaves. Every, like that cemetery is not green. Yeah, you can at like all. feel it, like that it's probably pretty cool, like when yeah. yeah. And stuff. It, it adds to it though. I like how it's not groomed. It, it, it really it makes it feel like it's so old and ancient. I think they capture that beautifully, man. Really, really good stuff. Yeah, and just like the whole scene where she's like, like they enter that like. I, th- I think they said it was like the the morgue attendant's house. Yeah, and they see like those coffins and all the skulls. The skulls all look fucking great in this movie. They look all old and grungy. <laughs> they actually look real. Yeah, exactly. They look fucking awesome. Like the one that she picks up and he smacks out of her hand and it breaks yeah. on the ground. Like that thing actually looked real. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to question it might have actually been a real fucking skull. I mean, man. they did do that a lot of times in, I mean, it would in make the sense. 70s and 80s. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, so. Yeah, and just like the whole thing with the Iron Rose and this, the imagery is just. So, what's very, the Iron Rose mean? It, the Iron this, Rose is. This is the only pretty, title out of these films that I didn't know what the title meant. Well, it's just the imagery. The Iron Rose is supposed to be like a sign of death. Hmm. Okay. Which which the whole like goal the basis of the metaphor of the film is about. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's just kind of giving you a visual to the metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so um yeah, one thing one thing you really notice in Gene Rowland films, which I, I guess I guess they probably show in a couple. I think in Lips of Death and or Lips of Blood Lips of Death, Lips of Blood. Um <laughs> Where he shoots on that beach in somewhere in France. I mean, yeah, so, the, the pier and the like, the little wooden things sticking out of it. Yeah. Like, what are those called? I can't think of the actual term for those. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure too. But if you watch like pretty much all of his films leading up, are to they even like Iron tie Road. off boats or something? I, don't I think so. Called. I think that's what those. I yeah, think the, yeah, like a little rig thing to tie your boat on. But he loved to shoot at that pier or wherever that was, man, in that area, because he he shot so many scenes for all his films at that same location. And it's kind of like, <laughs> it's cool, man, to see it because you're like, oh, yeah, I, I've, yeah. Seen, I've seen that before. Actually, now that you think about it, Rape of the Vampire actually had that beach, too. Yeah, I think there's a couple more, too, man. Yeah, to yeah. Be honest, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Kind of has this, like... I don't know, it's just like a familiar thing to all of his films. It's like, he, he probably obviously did it purposely, right? You know? Yeah. But, it's I, like I, his I, little like, stamp on the movie. It like, is, man. Is, <laughs> which is kind of intriguing, because in this film, like, you know, it ends up being... She ends up being on the beach there and stuff, and... Which, which I, I love Jean Roland, man. Like, you know, it's so artsy just to have a chick fucking stark naked on the beach, just doing whatever... <laughs> You know, at the end of the doing film. her thing, I know, right? It's like she's got to be naked, man. She's got to be naked. I mean, that's a very yeah. prevalent thing in his films, though, too, man. Is just, yeah, just the nudity. I mean, these are French yeah. films too, so it's it's not like yeah. we we perceive that a lot differently, but to them, that's like completely normal. Yeah, know? it's like their art and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> One it, thing that you said about this being a quiet film, though, without going too into it, mm. I love the theme of this movie, <laughs> like the music in the beginning. It's yeah. very hypnotic. Mm-hmm. It sets the tone of what's to come. Yeah, it does. It actually does. It's it's kind of like a, it's really actually strange musical pieces too. Like I don't even know how to classify it. it it's really kind of oddball. Mm-hmm. I, I think actually even in Grapes of Death, like there's a little bit of a score in that film too that's very odd. Like the music that's used in it is very very strange. Very yeah. It's yeah. Really I noticed that one in that. Yeah, I, I don't like that that music in that one that much. 
I know it's it's kind of weird actually. It, it's it, and it's so prevalent too because like you know like it's I almost said, like comical. Yeah, the movie's so quiet, and then when you hear it, you're like, "What the fuck is that? <laughs> like, why is that there like that?" You like think it's something else in the house. <laughs> I know it's so it's so strange. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah did you have any more questions jp about the film or nope. do you have any more thoughts on it or i it's, it's kind of a tough one to talk about because it's very simple i guess you know without giving like every single scene away and shit like that but um yeah i don't know i guess we can probably just get into ratings all right um i'll go first uh yeah i i actually really like this film it was pretty pretty cool i, I don't think that i fully grasped like the concept that much um, but I did like the setting, and I thought that like the overall like eeriness that shined through on the film was was worth the watch. Um, just visually, pretty nice, uh, pretty pretty cool. Uh, I'll I'll give it a seven out of ten. Derek, yeah, the Iron Rose. This is a film that I've been watching for a while now, and I absolutely love the metaphor and the visuals of this one fucking awesomeness with like the visuals and the atmosphere i really like the characters and we forgot to mention the performances are really good like uh francois pascal was actually not gene roland's uh, original choice for this role and i think she does a tremendous job in the role especially she actually even choreographed her own dance for that sequence that she d- dances through the graveyard which you didn't mention which was really cool and i really like the uh, you quester who actually I've seen him in numerous other French films after this, like non horrorish t- type stuff, but I've seen him before in like older you Quester. But uh, yeah, it's a hypnotic experience, which I think everyone should check out and definitely recommendable. I really have no issues with this one. I'm going to give it a solid 10 out of 10. Wow. Jesus 10 Christ. out of 10, Derek. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I. Uh... I think this one actually runs its course pretty well. I mean, for being such a simple idea for a film, I think Gene Rowland actually paces out this film surprisingly well. You know, I mean, there's like almost no characters in this film except for like two. You know, it's a tough thing to do to keep you intrigued and stuff. But I think the visuals and um, just the metaphor for the film, I think is it's pretty easy to understand. I mean, um, but there's enough there. I I think you're saying I'm dumb. (laughs) <laughs> no <laughs> no it's your first time watch but you never know you might pick up more later on that's all i can't remember if i fully grasped it the first time i watched it either yeah me neither man it, it, it took me a few times when i watched this one yeah but i mean now it just it seems so out in the out in the open when i watch it it's just like oh yeah it's pretty cool um, but yeah, man, I, I love everything about this film. I love what it stands for. The the cemetery setting. I, I don't know why it's not utilized more in horror films. Like, why isn't there more films like this? It's really crazy because it's such a basic idea. Like we said, you know, you would. Yeah, think- there was an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark where these kids were playing hide and seek in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that episode. It's been forever since I've seen it, but that's mm-hmm. like the only thing I can think of. I know it's weird, right? You think that there would be so many more films set in the cemetery, considering it's, it's Del Morte Del Mar. It, yeah, yeah, that's one. That I mean, yeah, that's one cemetery man, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, obviously, right? <laughs> Which is probably yeah, that movie's fucking just phenomenal, phenomenal. But um, yeah, man, th- I love this film too, man. Uh, not really a whole lot more to say about it, but I'm coming in at a nine out of ten on this one. Oh. Uh. 
Nice. All right. Yeah, I, I really love this one. So, Lips of Blood came out in the year 1975. Uh, we have director Gene Rowland. Uh, the writer was Gene Felipe. And it follows Frederick, uh, who sees a photograph of a ruined seaside castle, which triggers strange childhood memories. He then goes on a strange quest aided by four female vampires to find the castle and the beautiful woman who lives in it. So yeah, he uh, there's this kid that when he's a kid, he meets this like weird woman in the middle of the night like in this castle and then he like leaves and he always I guess remembered that and when he saw this photo, it reminded him of it so he was on a quest to figure out <clears throat> where where this castle is. And then there's mm-hmm. some vampires. Yeah, that's right. Because you know, as a child, like he he questions. He's like, why? He's like, why can't I remember my childhood and stuff? And it's because essentially, like he was kind of under a spell from mm-hmm. this vampire and stuff. So he just Which, for some odd reason me, couldn't remind or couldn't remember let, anything. Let me ask you guys a question. So <clears throat> I was a little confused with this one too. So this woman is basically forced to stay at this castle. Is that what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, essentially. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this kid, like, you know, doesn't really matter why he's out in the middle of the night. It's questionable, but whatever, he's out in the middle of the night, he happens upon it, and she brings him into it, but then why does she let him out of it? Well, she actually, well, it actually goes into the ending, so I can't really. Yeah, I know. I was just going to say the same thing because <laughs> she's more or less kind of projecting herself. Oh, okay. So she does mention that that she um, learned how to spiritually project herself or whatever. But yeah, because okay, she, so that's not actually was, her. She was then. essentially just you know when she was imprisoned. I guess essentially, right? She talks about yeah. how she would like read this thing, and then she learned how to do that, and that's how he ends up yeah. finding her and things like that. So yeah, okay. So uh, basically, he uh, grows up and figures out that. You know, he sees this picture from this photographer. He goes to ask the photographer where she got the picture. And she says something along the lines of, like, I was paid a lot of money to not talk about that. Yeah. Um, which, mm-hmm. first of all, <laughs> first of all, it's really, I, I, I got to say that it's dumb how that plays out because he shows up there and he's like, Do you know this picture? And do you have a copy of it? Like if you're not supposed to talk about it right then and there, you would be like, "No, I don't, I don't remember." But she's like, "Oh yeah, I think I got a copy," and she pulls it out, and then she tells yeah, him, "I know, <laughs> no, I can't talk about this." And it's like, "Well, if you really cared about that, then you shouldn't have freaking told him that you had a copy of it." And then after that, she's like, "Yeah, I can't talk about it." And then it's like the most awkward dialogue ever, where she's like, "I like you." <laughs> no, she leaves she leaves the room and then comes back just like buck naked <laughs> yeah it's, it's like so weird. it's so strange man. yeah but she says i like you she literally says that like why i, I, I don't why know why do you like him <laughs> it's like, what do you probably, like about him you don't even know him <laughs> she's probably horny at the time she's probably like one of those girls that likes to bang and she he's yeah, but like she, then they didn't even bang no they totally she's didn't like i like you i'm gonna tell you where it is <laughs> meet me here <laughs> you know what else it is made real, no sense you know what else is really interesting about that scene when he goes to the photographer's house you guys notice the girl that she's shooting has fingering herself 
Well, yeah, I mean, but she, she has, doesn't have any she, hair. Really. She shaved her. She had a bald pussy, which is incredibly crazy for 1975. And yeah, yeah. man, that's like so fucking unheard of. I man. didn't just, that. That's why I was like, wait a fucking minute. <laughs> I noticed that too, actually. Like, oh shit, I know it's no, so fucking weird. No muff. Yeah, yeah, very, 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 very strange. Um, yeah, this this movie has some really. She was ahead of her time. <laughs> she was. This movie has some really weird elements to it that I've always kind of questioned myself. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I get it, kind of, you know, but they don't really fully explain, you know, who had actually paid her. I mean, I guess we have to assume it was probably the person that we're thinking of. I don't want to really go into yeah. that. Yeah, but it, it also doesn't make sense no, that it, she would like if you would go take a picture of this place. Like, how would anybody know to pay you off to not? Yeah. Like, wouldn't they just pay you for the picture so you didn't publish it? Like, yeah. why would they let you have the picture and then pay you and say, like, hey, don't ever talk about this? Like, it do- that whole thing didn't make any sense. No, th- there's a little bit of script issues with that. And th- there's actually a very odd yeah. scene, you know, kind of playing off that part right there, too, where he's on the train and then this dude, like, that kind of looks like Tom Savini when he first gets onto the train. It's so funny. Yeah, he looks like French Tom Savini. He does. He looks like French Tom Savini. But anyways, <laughs> then the guy like pulls out a gun on him, and then he like has he fucking beats him up and shit. I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why? Dive yeah, because once you find out who's behind keeping him from it it doesn't make sense that they would pull a gun on him. I know because what was the actual intention there? Were they trying to kill him? Uh, that's really the only reason I see you pull a gun on somebody. But, it, but that completely does not make sense because what we what we later find out in the film is mm-hmm. that was never the that was not what was intended. I guess. But why would they even have that part in the movie? Um, it makes it makes little to I, no sense. I don't know, but there's some weird scene where he's actually shooting the bullets and stuff, and I don't think he's aiming right because the first one was. He could actually aim, you know what I mean? And but then before like the, all the supernatural shit started happening with the water and the lights and shit. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I don't think he was actually trying to aim for him. I think he was just trying to scare him off and lead him to like where he ends up going, where he ends up going into like a mental institution after that. So you know what I mean? <laughs> That's a that scene feels random as well. That mental institution scene. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Like, what's up with the vampires? Like, how did they get a job there? (laughs) Exactly, right? (laughs) (laughs) They're like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that that was weird. (laughs) Yeah, this movie is like such an oddball kind of, you know, vampire film. It's it's definitely not your typical vampire film at all. The way I would describe this is like a mixture of giallo with vampirism. In a sense, a little bit, right? Yeah, because it's totally a mystery. He's trying to figure out exactly... You know, or he's trying to basically get his memory back. You know, you know, you know what else is weird is. about this movie? Like, it literally starts frame one. Like, there's no like title scroll or anything like that. It's just like frame one. Like, there's people like moving coffins, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, it, it it still is a very intriguing film, man. I love the locations that Gene Roland filmed in this, man. It's actually like an old castle from like the 1600s and stuff that they filmed in and they actually did like some non-legal shooting i guess i guess they kind of like mm-hmm. tricked yeah. some dude and shit and they got some ex- or some more shots like later on in you know some nights and shit yeah. like that so i, I, I think I that's pretty love, cool love love the setting of that castle and yeah. even like the bars when the kid first comes up to it mm-hmm. like i love all that stuff so like i think that and and you know it's really in all three of these films and i'm sure other parts in his filmography but um, I think that the settings to these movies are are really the standout 
aspect of the films like they just they have this just beautiful architecture um these mm-hmm. like ruins and just you know just like villages and stuff that it, that just looks so nice and and foreign you know what i mean it's just yeah, like yeah. it's cool to look at and uh th- you know this film like um i didn't i didn't really 100 percent grasp like like what was going on with like okay like the one like the one girl like projects herself so that he can see her it's like there's this weird like there's this is shit that bugs me in movies but so like the girl is leading him to those vampires um the the coffins the other ones and where the cross is like in the uh rock formation and he knocks it over and stuff but so he starts following her she stops looks back at him and then she starts moving again and he just stands there and waits for her to disappear and then yeah. he's, I'm like, yeah. isn't the whole point of you following her to like, don't, aren't you like curious of what's going on? Like, why did you wait for her to disappear? Then follow her again. It made no sense. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? like, she looks certain aspects of that is like, yeah, you it's know. like, <laughs> I, I totally hundred percent get where you're, where you're coming from with that too. It totally doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, I don't I think know. his hair was in the way, you know what I mean? Like his giant flopping glowing hair. <laughs> he had like a little flock of seagulls shit going on. That thing. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, man. Um, you know, one scene I actually really enjoy in this film is when he's actually at the, at the, uh, at the cinema and he's like, yeah. he's watching that film and all of a sudden she just appears like underneath it. Yeah. I love that scene, man. The way it looks, it's just, it's so weirdly and, and oddly executed, but it, it totally works on some weird yeah. level. I don't know. It's so strange. I guess, I guess it's because the, the screen is really small and she's able to like walk underneath it. I don't know what it is about that scene, but it just, it, I, 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 always, I, lo- I actually really it. enjoy that scene too. And it's weird about that scene too, is he's actually watching the nude vampire. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's watching a Gene Roland film inside of a Gene Roland film. <laughs> God if I was that. a filmmaker, I'd put all my films in on the screen. Well, yeah. <laughs> Anytime well, I actually, actually, I was reading like the IMDb trivia. He actually based the character of Frederick off of kind of like the way the him kind of. That's what it said in the trivia section of the IMDb of this film. Huh. Interesting. Such a like this movie has like such a weird ending too. <laughs> like I like uh, it though. <laughs> there's a there's a shot of like this. Uh, coffin and (laughs) it's funny because like i could tell that like how he shot it he probably wanted it to like not keep floating towards those things and bumping into them (laughs) but it's like they they probably didn't have time or like the money to keep like you only have have one shot at that right like so whatever happens so whatever happens you gotta film and we have to use the footage I assume yeah. in his head he wanted it to like get, like drift out to sea and like be, and like be this beautiful thing, but just knocking against these fucking these fucking posts and I it's know, like right? half sunk and stuff, and you're just like ah, independent filmmaking, low budget filmmaking. I just right thought there. it was impressive that they actually got that fucking box to float. I know it was kind of sinking most of the time, but it was still, <laughs> but I mean, it was still, still floating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you you know. Well, the ending, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it, like I'm like, oh, that lid would totally fall, have fallen off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but the, but they're just grooving with the motion, you know. <laughs> Seventies filmmakers, especially like um, from France and like Italy and stuff like that, they love to show like voluptuous, like naked women, like in like sheer nightgowns and stuff. <laughs> I, but that you know, that's the eroticism of vampire. Ism, 
in itself, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah Vampirism yeah. is all about eroticism and and to showcase. I mean, this movie has a when you really kind of break it down, it has a shitload of nudity in it. Like, there's a yeah. lot of tits and muff in this film. It's it's ridiculous, but, oh. but there's even a little penis. Yeah, even a little penis. Yeah, yeah there is a little penis yeah. in this one too. But yeah, no, he Not definitely too does much, a good job. Yeah. He definitely does a good job. It's kind of interesting because, like, when you look at the Blu-ray cover of this film, it's got the twins on the cover, and they're really not in the film a whole lot, right? I mean, no. they, they probably only have a, a couple minutes of screen time throughout the whole film, and you know, and, and it's funny too. Like, they don't have any what? dialogue, but they're like the worst actors in the world. <laughs> Was it just me, or is that is like something out of continuity, like with those the other vampires, like not the main one? Like, in my head, for some reason, like, I th- think they, like, kill him, but then they show him again, or, like, vice versa. Something like that. Does that happen? Or is that just me, like, miss? No, like, like they do show them again after they do what they do with them, but it's not, they're not alive. They Yeah, they're, yeah. Okay. So, I get where you're, I, I know what you're saying, though. Yeah. But, yeah, no, they're just, they're just not alive, so... Um, okay, but yeah, another thing that you notice in pretty much all of Gene Roland films, no matter what, there's always going to be a scene where someone looks at the fucking camera. <laughs> it happens in this film, and like I think it actually happens a couple different times. But um, I don't know what it is about the twins in this film, but like when they go to show their fangs, they're really like working on showing the fangs and it just comes off as being a little bit cheesy at times. Yeah. Like they're, yeah. Like they're overly over smiling and they're really trying to get those fangs out. And they're like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's, that, it's, it's that iconic scene that's on the back of the Blu-ray cover. Like it, it doesn't seem fun. natural. I think that's what I'm getting at. It doesn't seem like it's just a natural yeah. smile. Like they're, it's almost like the, yeah. the prosthetics that they're in, that are in their mouth is like hurting them or something. And they're just like, okay, I got to get this out there. I'm going to smile like this. <laughs> it's Let just a force man it's just a force fed scene you know it's kind of funny um yeah <laughs> but yeah uh this film right here man again not a lot of dialogue in the film surprisingly enough considering it's like a mystery you know he's like trying to unravel this mystery and there's not really a whole lot of dialogue but um it's fucking beautiful man i think one of my favorite scenes again going back to the opening uh i guess flashback scene of him of him as a child when he first comes into contact with the vampire um that scene is so fucking beautifully lit i love that blue hue to it oh it's just Mm -hmm. fucking phenomenal man the blu-ray just looks so good with it oh it's totally awesome shit i love that scene man it's so great um but again it was just beautiful (laughs) any bell yeah he's got the boy head yeah i kind of like it though on her for some reason i didn't notice that she had that haircut at the beginning of the film, I kind of like it with her though, because really, just the, yeah. yeah, for some reason, because like when we, she shows back up later, I was like, "Who's this?" But like, I eventually figured it out. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't notice that. But um, <laughs> I yeah, that, I, that is weird. That is weird. Um, but yeah, you know, like not you know for a movie called Lips of Blood, I mean, it's not overly violent or anything. That's that's one thing yeah. about Gene Roland films is like he's not. He's not that filmmaker that, like, you know, just, you know, showcases, you know, random violence and puts shit in his films for shock value and stuff, you know? Yeah. I, I like that about his films. It always seems to kind of stick out to me. I mean, some people might be looking for a little bit more of that, but you're not really going to get that with his films. And um, I, that's what I like about him. That's what I like about him. You know, he's not trying to do something that the film doesn't need to have in it, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think it works. It's He's a very elegant 
director, you know, this one right here, it, it just has so much anticipation. I don't know, when I watched this movie, when I was rewatching this movie again today, it's just, it's one of those films where I just, I almost feel antsy while I'm watching it. For some reason, it's something to do with like the very ominous pacing to it. And it's just the way it kind of cuts around and stuff. It's like, there's so much anticipation, which is a good thing. You know, I'm like anticipating something else. I'm, and, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. how to, say, but you know what I'm saying though? It, it just kind of has that feel to it. It's mm-hmm. very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, um, anything, anything else? Lips of Blood? Derek. Yeah, I'll go first. Yeah, Lips of Blood, like we said in the review, this one's very, like, clanky with, like, its story aspects, or, like, certain aspects of its story. Kind of feels like a mystery slash giallo mixed with, like, a vampire movie, in a sense, where this guy is going through this mystery of trying to figure out his past, and they throw vampires in it. And some of the aspects of it, it's kind of clanky, but I kind of do like the story for what it is. Like, I like the character of Frederick. He's kind of funny. I like the aspect of him, like that whole scene where he meets that photographer. I actually laugh at that scene because it's so odd and out there. But, <laughs> Dude, is this yeah. the fact that she walks away, doesn't say anything, and then she comes back buck naked? Oh, she does. She does say something. She's like, "I gotta go change." I'll be oh, right does back. she? Say that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, she does. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, yeah, I like the like the whole scenes where the flashbacks with him as a child, and I I actually like uh, the Jennifer, who's the mysterious girl from his past played by Annie Bell who's in like I think she was on a Manuel film I was reading that probably but, probably yeah probably with that body oh. yeah <laughs> yeah but I like the aspects of that like some of the vampire stuff is they act kind of like like the mob in this movie because she's controlling them pretty much so it's weird in that aspect yeah I know but <laughs> it's yeah they act like the Luca Brazis of this lead vampire so it's like they're just doing the hair bidding and they don't have really much dialogue, but I really like the setting of the castle and like, I like, like those looks of like the vampires on different aspects of the castle with like the scrolls and the nudity and like the wind blowing just very atmospheric stuff with that stuff. So I do enjoy lips of blood. What it is, it does have a few problems with it, but I'd give it like a 7.5 out of 10. <clears throat> yeah, man. Um, I, I've, really enjoy this film too but yeah it does have its little quirkiness within the script there's there's definitely some things where you kind of laugh and go that doesn't make fucking sense um but you know it's almost forgivable man i mean the story in itself is pretty basic i mean but you know you still kind of shake your head i mean the, the fucking the european tom savini <laughs> yeah that guy's great shit man that still makes me laugh man but i really like this film i like the elegance of it um you know, I like how Gene Rowland took he, – he always had a different approach with vampire films. He wasn't trying to make those, you know, those very standard, standardized vampire films, you know. He he made these things almost, almost like over-erotic, you know, but without being like – Sleazy? Without being sleazy, in a sense, yeah. It was very yeah. elegant in how, he per- in how he portrayed the characters and stuff. And I love that about it, man. I think it's fucking fantastic yeah. filmmaking. It wasn't like it wasn't but, like Jess Franco just trying to have his wife. It was just straight yeah. up sleaze. Straight up sleaze, man. I mean, for fuck's sake. I mean, his wife, she was actually fucking in those films, too. I mean, yeah. sleazier than that. But he is, <laughs> his approach to filmmaking is beautiful. He's definitely got an eye for, uh, for locations. And, I mean, the castle in this so awesome everything about it i love the the beach man the ending still makes me kind of laugh i'm glad that jp brought up the uh the coffin <laughs> crashing on those <laughs> little pillar things 
This shit is so fucking ridiculous. I'm just, I'm just picturing them <laughs> like inside, just holding it to make sure the fucking toss is a bull. Exactly right. Um, I'm glad they didn't overdo it. You know, with like the flashback scenes. I mean, there's a fair amount of them in the film, but they it didn't get repetitive to me. It didn't kind of downplay yeah. the story and stuff. I think it was. I think even within the flashback scenes, it still kind of it still moved the story forward. You know, and some yeah. films they'll, they'll put those in there, and you're just like, "Fuck, okay, man, we get it, we get it." And I'm not a big fan of filmmaking like that a lot of the times, but you know, in the sense, I actually do dig it. Um, I'm also coming in a seven half out of ten on this one. I enjoy *Lives of Blood*. It's good stuff. Yeah, um, I really like the setting, like I mentioned, and I really like the just aesthetic of the film. Um, the uh, I actually was kind of interested to actually understand eventually what was going on because it is kind of mysterious at first um it is a little clunky for sure uh but i don't think that it's like overly film breaking um so i'm coming in at a seven out of ten on this one as well nice nice good shit good shit um yeah i was i I was actually a little bit surprised i thought you might be coming a little bit lower on that one So yeah, so moving along into the year 1978 with a film simply titled The Grapes of Death. Mm-hmm. Yes. We go by the French title, Le Raisin de Morte. The <laughs> Raisins, yeah. <laughs> um, actually, we didn't even talk about that, actually, in Lips of Blood. The original title of that film was actually Jennifer. So, really? Yeah. <laughs> which Makes is, sense. <laughs> which is kind of funny because there was actually a film called, it was like a Carrie ripoff called jennifer that came out i guess probably just after you know america yeah. but um but yeah it stops this a young woman discovers that the pesticide being sprayed on vineyards is turning people into killer zombies they're not fucking zombies they're not fucking <laughs> they're zombies not. That's yeah. they're infected so that's um, bullshit they're just infected. this one this one was kind of interesting like i i was like i honestly okay so I didn't know anything about this one. Um, it's funny that it's called the grapes of death because about, um, I don't know, like 20, 30 minutes into the movie, they mentioned like vineyards or something. And I was like, I was like, could it? No, it couldn't. Be. Is it really the grapes that's causing this? I was like, that's, and then when you find out it is, it's like, holy shit, you know, it's from everybody drinking the pesticide wine. Um, but yeah, I, I totally, totally did not expect a infected film from, this dude or a zombie film at all like i was yeah. super surprised when it turned it like it's almost like a post-apocalyptic film in a way like like it starts out with this girl riding this train and all of a sudden there's this like infected dude on it and then like she like escapes it and then it's just like it's just like her traveling through like you know desolate like <clears throat> ravaged towns and shit and i was like holy shit like this is kind of ahead of its time mm-hmm. yeah yeah, it's a very simple setup, man. It's just about this character who's trying to... <clears throat> she's uh, going to meet her fiancé in one of these, <laughs> like, I guess, little minor towns. Like, I mean, the, the town that they end up in is literally just a vineyard. Like, that's all they yeah. do there is they, they just produce wine. And, like, those things actually exist. That's so crazy. You know, just to have that as your whole industry kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, no, so she's trying to escape these these infected people. And, yeah, that's pretty much the whole film. Is her trying to survive, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I really like the main character, uh, Marie 
Georges Pascal, who plays Elizabeth, uh, very sad that her life was very short, actually. She actually committed suicide in 1985. Yeah, that's Dang. right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I think that, uh, honestly, you know what's funny is... Um, I actually kind of like the way the infected are done in this one. Like they're, they're kind of, it's not a hundred percent like explained like, like like I don't know. It, I it, it's it's like they're kind of rage like, but they yeah. still can talk and stuff like that. You know? Yeah, what I, mean? I, yeah. I like like the transformations of their skin. It kind of feels like like a they're becoming like a rotted grape, pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, looks, <laughs> it actually looks better than. Uh, uh, what is that film? Nightmare City. <laughs> it actually looks like because you know they're they're classified as as infected people, but the wounds and like the transformation actually looks infected. Like it has that kind of yeah. yellow greenish yeah. tinge to it, and that yeah. it actually portrays it quite well. It's fucking disgusting looking too. Yeah, like, like was, when uh, that father like pulls that dress off of her daughter, his daughter or whatever, and that like pussy nasty shit below uh, her boob. I know. I'm like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> It has such nice tits too, man. And you look at that and you're like, no, that's, that's gross. That's gross. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, man, I, I, again, you know, very typical Gene Roland fashion, man. It's got great locations. Cinematography is fantastic in the film. Um, again, really, really quiet. You know, it's a, it's, yeah. it's a theme with, with Roland films, but it has this weird soundtrack to it. I don't know mm-hmm. yeah. why they chose this little and what I- what exactly are those sounds like what is that a Peruvian flute I don't know what it is dude but it's it I comes it's off Peruvian, as so I th- I weird he, I think he uses like the same thing in like uh, the living dead girl huh. <laughs> yeah maybe maybe but I but, just but I like it a little more in that one because it's very based on that tone of that movie and yeah. played a little more serious in that one that one actually it, it definitely fits that style of film a little more because this one like i said it's so ominous like the film is so quiet and everything and then it has this like it's so just out of place the music mm-hmm. is so out of place in this film I, I i just it definitely did not need it you know it didn't have to be there so but, yeah uh, yeah yeah, I, I really like how she's, you know, traveling from place to place. One thing that I'll say that didn't make the most sense, though, is we eventually find out that one girl is infected, but she doesn't show any signs of it. Um, so the girl's running from the infected, and that girl, like, pulls her into a building to save her. But it makes no sense why she would do that. No, it really doesn't. Because then she just lets everybody know where she is anyway. Mm-hmm. She's over here, you know. So it's like it, it like really doesn't make <laughs> any sense. But um, whatever. It's it's a little kind of inconsistency there. Yeah, the blonde yeah. chick that's actually uh, Bridget Leahy. Uh, she was a yeah. fucking porn star in France at the time. Yeah, she's in a oh, bu- shit. She's actually in a bunch of Roland films. Yeah, she's in quite a few of them. Um, mm. And she's yeah. also in Calvary. Yeah, she. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird, you know, for that time period because I know Cronenberg. You know, he had. Um, uh, Marilyn, Chambers. Marilyn Chambers in his film too. It must have been something to do in the seventies. Maybe it was a little more acceptable to like have a fucking porn star star in your film. I don't know. It just seems it's odd. Yeah, because she's actually not even the. She's actually a pretty decent actress too. You yeah, know. Yeah. Well, well, well. Actually, 
in general, porn had good acting in the seventies. Well, that's you know, you know what I mean. Well, because they actually <laughs> true made, that, true they that, made poor movies. That. They made porn movies, yeah. right? They had storylines yeah. and stuff. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, it, like, it, it actually makes sense. Yeah, yeah. They actually like you actually had to have some a little bit of acting chops in the seventies yeah. to be a porn star. Now it's just like, do you got big fake tits? Do you got blonde hair? You do anal. Yeah, so you do deep throat. DVDA double anal, double ass, <laughs> double badge, double anal, good. double ass. You know how to tickle anal. balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I much more appreciate seventies porn making than I do current. Porn yeah, man, trends. the actual yeah. movies. I will say some also. acting is coming back though a little bit. There's a lot more storylines in porn than than t- like five years ago. Not, not that I watch that much porn. <laughs> 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 um but yeah yo uh this i i like the i i really like this movie like it, it was a it was a cool ride you know i don't think that i love the ending though i i'll say that i i wasn't really a fan of of how the film ended what about you guys well there was one scenes where she was taking a little sip of wine I know and there was there I, was I, I, I will ha- I I did catch that I did okay, catch that so I was trying to figure out how to explain this because <clears throat> I knew that was going to get brought up and they did say in the film that the people that were infected was from that batch of wine now we all know that wine is generally aged right so we don't know for a fact that the wine that she was drinking was from that batch Right. That's it could, true. It could have been from an older bottle because, I mean, let's face it. I mean, I have bottles of wine that have been sitting in there for fucking years, too. Right. Are you talking about when she's with the porn star? Yeah. Well, she actually takes a sip of the wine. No. Yeah. She's with she the, spits it out, too, though, doesn't she? I think there's ta- I think there's actually no, two I'm talking scenes. About when she's with the the father and the daughter. Oh, That's I didn't true. know she drank. See, because yeah, you don't know. It's a, you don't know way back then about the wine. Yeah. So yeah. you'd have, yeah, that, you'd have to catch that on the second watch. Okay, I, I guess I guess that makes a little bit more sense then if we assume that she's you know spoiler alert also infected. But I don't know. It just felt it kind of played out a little, a little weird for me. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe on rewatch it, it'll pick up a little more. I I noticed it a few times rewatching this one. This is probably one that this is probably my second favorite gene roll from spoiler alert but it's very interesting like the aspect of like the landscapes that he uses in this one mm-hmm. oh yeah great great like i don't know where they shot this but it's like great countryside throughout this film uh, like uh, it, it man like how in the fuck do you even build places on the side of mountains like that you know there's that there's that one overhead shot where it kind of showcases the one side of the mountain there and there's all those places built like why would you just build a house right there <laughs> <laughs> i know right i mean honestly wouldn't it be really hard to even get to <laughs> you know it's like i don't know i always thought that was so intriguing but yeah man the uh the setting of this film is just fantastic those little small kind of like stone cities towns like everything mm-hmm. is just stone I, I love that man it's fantastic stuff yeah and then um, like all the characters that she meets a lot like the lucy characters like this is before the beyond. It's like fucking the <laughs> chick. Yeah. Yeah. He's got blind gut. I mean, but two of these three films have blind. I think, well, maybe all three of them do. I don't know. Is there a blind person in the iron Rose too? No, I don't think so. No, think, there's but, only like four people in that movie. <laughs> yeah. I was, thinking maybe, I was thinking maybe one of the, the ladies that was walking through was blind, but no, she wasn't. But yeah, lips of blood. There's blind. Uh, maybe it's like a European thing. I don't know. It's like to showcase. Uh blind people in their films but 
Yeah, but it did very, seem yeah, pretty big, but very reminiscent one, of the Beyond, though, right? Yeah, with the eyes. Because yeah. Argento does that shit too with yeah. the blind people. Yeah, yeah. This <laughs> one gets fucked up though. <laughs> oh, brutalized man! Like that decapitation scene—it's <laughs> like ridiculous, man. It's, Th- it's, this movie's actually sorry to cut you off but this movie's actually a little bit more scary than the other two too like when she rolls up to that dude's house and his hands infected and he like covers it up and i'm like oh shit <laughs> you know it's kind of creepy and that kill actually is probably the best out of the three movies with the pitchfork yeah the, actually the effect on that's pretty good it's actually not too yeah. bad but i like that yeah. scene though too i mean she rolls up and and he covers his hand up because he's staring for like a mm-hmm. while Right, he's kind of yeah. got this look on his face, and he's and he just calmly put, places his hand over his infected area, and I was like, "Oh, uh, fuck!" I, awesome. I, I like the guys. Like, we we don't have a phone; it doesn't work. We don't have a car; the one doesn't work. <laughs> doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, it worked a long time. <laughs> yeah, and that's the whole tra- scene in the train's fucking terrifying too. Like this random fucking dude, and this is the whole thing with the fucking when his face starts fucking doing what it's doing. And he's fucking just being chased through a train, you know? It's fucking crazy. Yeah, man. I, I've, I'm a really big fan of anything set on trains. I love train settings, man. Yeah. We, should, we should actually do, like, a train show one time. That mm-hmm. could be the theme, man. Films on trains, man. Yeah. Films on trains. Luca. Lucas. Lucas. That fucking part, man. <laughs> Lucy, Lucy. <laughs> Lucy. <laughs> it fucking makes me laugh every time I watch this movie. I, I, like, I love the scene where he just kisses the thing <laughs> before he dies. <laughs> Dude, like what the fuck, right? Yeah. <laughs> that shit's out of control, man. Jesus Christ, <clears throat> getting into some like almost like necrophilia territory there. Oh yeah. It's kind of fucking nasty. I, I mean, you gotta admit though, like the the head doesn't really look that great. Yeah, it's kind of funny too when he's like just laying on top of him and he's just slowly like, damn. Yeah, it's fucking great. I love it. Yeah, man. But yeah, th- no, this has always been one of my favorite films too, man. By Roland Graves of Death. I, I just love the setup, man. It's just like it's such an oddball setup, like. You know, she's on this train, and all of a sudden, she's like forced off it from this infected dude, and it just kind of spirals out of control. I love that. Man. She's just journeying to the town, and she's just meeting all these crazy characters. Yeah, and man, shit. she was already going there. But you know, one thing I love about this film, though, is is how they figure out what infected the people when she comes across those two uh, the two male characters in this film. Yeah, the two. Yeah, and they actually—they actually, it, it, they actually it's go as far. Dumb, honestly, though, not, not really. I <laughs> mean, not, not really. Like, because... who would come to that conclusion? Well, we both drank beer last week. <laughs> well, I think it was because they were figuring out the time frame. Like, okay, all these people got infected around the time they had this wine festival. Uh, we didn't drink anything. I guess, I guess, but it's but, but it's I, just a little little weird. I just, I think it's kind of cool though that they actually go as far to like explain it too. Like, oh, no, I'm we're, glad we're totally beer, it, we're totally but, beer drinkers, you know, and uh, yeah. we we didn't touch the wine. So I think that's what it is. It's uh, it's the wine that fucked up everybody. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> I like it, man. I, I like that they explained it. I just not 100 percent sure that I like that how they are. Uh, it's kind of humorous. It's kind of like a humorous like downbeat scene too like the way they're explaining it too like yeah we, used, we drank beer that day you know well it's, it's, well, it's 
it's super well, relatable so- for myself too, right? Because I'm a huge beer drinker, and you know, I mean, <laughs> that that would be me. That would be me holding the yeah. gun, going, "Yeah, man, you know, I I, I drank Shock Top last Sunday. Yeah, you know, I didn't touch the wine." Like- but it's kind of cool too, because it does seem like they, these people, these two guys, do know each other. So it's like, because they do talk about, yeah, you know, we drank beer that day. You know, it's, it's like it's, it's like two buddies talking to each other, goofing on the situation too, trying to keep each other calm. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good shit. Well, I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's not really, there's not really a whole lot. Yeah, um, grapes of death, man. Another beautiful effort by Gene Roland. Um, you know, you understand now why we, or why you picked these films, right, JP? Because like, being so different and stuff. Like you said, you weren't mm-hmm. even expecting yeah. this to be like this. Kind of makes sense, right? I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this one really sticks out in Gene Roland's filmography because it is so different than the rest of his films. Uh, but I think he did a really good job with this one. It, I mean, it's a little bit clunky at times in the film. I mean, some of the effects aren't the greatest with the decapitation. I mean, that scene, for as brutal as, as it is, I can watch it over and over again. It's like a rewindable scene to me, man. <laughs> it's like the way he's just fucking chopping her head is like so fucking vicious, man. I absolutely love he's that like, scene. It's just brutal. And he's like crying while he's doing it because he doesn't want to do it either. I'm like, I, know, oh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> this is so brutal. Like, Oh my god, like that butcher knife. This is uh, fucking ridiculous, man. But I always have a like a blast with this film, man. I, I've I've said so many times this is uh, you know it's right up there with my favorite Gene Roland film. Um, mm-hmm. Again, man, you know landscape, you know just it's so fucking awesome. I love. I'm just a really big fan of, of Gene Roland's filmmaking. I love how it's so quiet, you know, and it, it coming from somebody that is a really big music person, and you know I. I always talk about scores and films and stuff but even you know the lack of you know you know music and things like that sometimes is effective also and i think gene roland does it pretty well with the exception of you know having that minor score in here that doesn't really fit but you know the rest of the film is pretty pretty quiet i love it man really really fun film um i'm also coming in at a nine out of ten on this one all right. Uh, yeah, I I really like this film too. Uh, I thought it was uh, pretty cool. I wasn't expecting an infected film, so that was a nice surprise. I uh, never heard anybody really talk about this when they talk about infected films. Like I, I can honestly say, I, I've never heard anybody mention this film. I mean, I'm sure you have moods mm-hmm. at some point or another, but I can't remember anybody else mentioning it. Um, I pretty much like all these movies about the same so i'm coming in a seven out of ten on this one as well nice yeah like i said this is probably my second favorite gene roland film too it's a little clunky in some aspects but it's enough to keep me enjoying level great and there's some great landscape shots he does shoot some great scenery for like this film and it shows you the wide range of what's going on with the infection and I like the aspect of, like, the fucking, like, Moose said the fucking decapitation scene makes me fucking laugh, too, every time. <laughs> it's fucking great shit. But fucking, yeah, I love this. I love, like, the character Elizabeth. I love following her journey. I can see, like, if you question the ending, but after a few watches, like, I kind of figured it out for myself. And, you know, it's like when you have to, you know, like, you interpretate you for yourself that it's that type of ending for me kind of like you know is she or is she not or whatever because we you know we already spoiled it but uh you know for the aspect of that 
it's an enjoyable film. I give it a nine out of ten too. Great cinematography and the, some of the mu- like the music's a little goofy. I like like the <laughs> ominous theme at the very end of the film. That I actually kind of like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I like that. Like the the ominous theme at the end. <laughs> I but, forgot. The- <laughs> I forgot to bring up this one part, man. When uh, when Bridget Leahy's character, she's wearing this white gown. Anyway, she ends up changing into like a red shirt and and uh, pants or whatever. And mm-hmm. for whatever reasons, man, there's like a total continuity issue where there's like she goes outside and she's back. She's wearing like a different white gown now. And I'm like, where in the fuck did she change, man? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I love when she's like taking her dress off to the two guys. She's like, that's totally unnecessary. I know, but you just, you got to get her naked in there somehow, right? Fuck, yeah. nice fucking body too, right? And she, you can tell, man, she she had uh, she had groomed her muff too. Like that shit was, yeah. you know. She put it in like a little mohawk there. Yeah, man, it's crazy. So, yeah. But so yeah, your rating is nine out of ten. All right. Yeah, man, I, I I I was a little surprised on these ones. You know, I didn't I didn't know what to think. Um, Dude, you I would have been curious. For like fucking months, see. you were just like, I don't want to fucking do the Gene Rollins show, man. We got to a huge fight one time. Yeah, but that was a joke more so. I when you suggested it, I thought you were talking about Jess Franco, which I know he makes a lot of bad movies. Mm-hmm. And um, later but, yeah. day, Jess Franco, yes. Well, the thing I we, actually- we could do a, a good Jess Franco show. Like, I mean, there he's done some. You know, well yeah, above average film, yeah, some really good films actually, to be honest. Mm. And actually, one that he that he did um, actually stars Bridget Leahy, uh, Faceless. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. So I was, you know, I, I don't know. I I was hating a little bit, um, but as always, I'll, I'll still give any movie a fair shot. And uh, yeah, I ended up really liking these three. And honestly, I will probably own them at one point as long as they don't go out of print before I'm not poor again. Um, because I I like them. Like I, I think that they're pretty cool movies, and honestly, wouldn't mind showing people some of them sometimes. You know, if the opportunity arose, nice little like almost art housey. You know, like mm-hmm. I I think they're pretty fun. Pretty pretty I'm, pretty good atmosphere. I'm glad you dug them, JP. Yeah, I'm 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 actually pretty happy that you enjoyed them too. I'm. It's too bad that Jeremy wasn't on the show. I would have liked to have heard because he was really hating on this shit, man. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would have been curious to see what his thoughts would have been on these ones because I know he didn't really care for the demoniacs. I mean, that one's not even in my top five Roland films. Um, yeah, it's but, a mixed crowd that one. Yeah, I mean, it, I I still like that film. You know, Jeremy was kind of harping on it a little bit, but uh, well, it was his first Roland film, and it's, well, at least he didn't watch Zombie Lake as his first. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the worst first one to watch ever i think Gene, i think he hates that film himself <laughs> well it was originally supposed to be directed by franco who yeah, actually wrote the screenplay yeah <laughs> well he left the did he left the production of that yeah he, he did and then then the because it was the same producer as like a lot of gene roland films so yeah as a favor for the producer roland took on for franco <laughs> i think it's funny too. i think i read somewhere that jess franco left the production of that because he didn't have any money I was like, man, all of his films are like no budget films. What the fuck was so different about this one? That's <laughs> uh, so funny. Whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, that is going to conclude episode 125. Derek, thank you for coming back onto the show. 
Um, Anytime, man. You know, this is like I said. If it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't become a podcaster in the first place. So I love you guys. So whenever you guys need a home or like another hand to help out, I'm here for you guys. Yeah, man. Any of us, cinema attack for life and twenty two shots. Baby, baby, yeah. All right. Well, this is uh, what our thirteenth or fourteenth show in a row. Uh, it's actually my fourteenth show on too. <laughs> ironically. Yeah. So we have one more show, uh, and then we take our hiatus. So this that will be the Christmas Christmas listeners' choice next week, which so. is going to be better. Watch out! I already forgot the films. Bloodbeat, <laughs> rare exports, and Bloodbeat. Oh yeah, Bloodbeat! <laughs> I can't wait to fucking review that one. Oh, it's uh, I just, I can't, just, I can't wait to hear Jeremy fucking talk about that. Oh my god! Like I was, I was having a hard time containing myself when I was making my video for that. Like, <laughs> like I'm fucking, you, you, you have to see this shit to believe it, man. Like the flicking bean of her bean. Oh my god. <laughs> the master i can't wait to watch this it, i own the vinegar syndrome it's so you are honestly you're gonna fucking die laughing man some of the shit that happens in this film it's it's ridiculous but never seen anything like that before <laughs> i can't wait to talk about it but yeah man that is it uh jp you gonna take us out of here or just Oh shit! Yeah, uh, thank you guys for listening to episode 125 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. If you guys want to check us out, please do so in all of our links: Twitter, double sh- or that's me. Twitter, 22 Shots Podcast, Gmail, 22 Shots of Moods and Horror at gmail.com. You guys can send in your top 10 list for the end of the year show, uh, which will take place at the beginning of the year. Uh, also, um, you guys, please do uh, Horophilia a favor and check out the show on Horophilia. Do us a favor by downloading the show via iTunes and uh, also click in a little play on YouTube. You know, Maybe listen to half the show via download and the other half via YouTube. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, we know it's long enough to do that. But uh, yeah, man, definitely... Uh, support the patreon patreon.com slash 22 shots podcast we got a couple couple of new patreon people uh supporting over the past week uh thank you guys very much it's it's amazing uh what you guys are doing eventually we're gonna pull some of the money and we're gonna make some shirts or something cool like that so that'll be what we do next just uh to clear this up um we personally have not used any of the money period on anything personal so just so you guys know we had some people uh I think Zach was hating a little bit, but um, yeah, and Fuck we actually Zach. threw all our reviews too. So um, for the most part, I think we did them all except for exploding heads. Um, but yeah, thank you guys. We'll see you guys in episode one twenty six. Peace. Peace. All right, that's a wrap. It's about four hours ish. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, yeah was I thought a- it was a pretty good show. It was. Four hours. I was. I'm surprised too, man. Because like, well, actually, what we watched was you know almost like an hour fifteen. Yeah, I think it went a little long when we started getting into King Kong and Godzilla, and uh, we. I think there's another thing we stopped and talked about too. Can't remember. Sure. Uh, we kind of got into uh, super dark times a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's one twenty-seven. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, that's pretty normal. Well, pretty normal. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, one more week, dude, and then we're off for a little while. It, this is an incredible streak. 
15 shows in 15 weeks. I know. It's and fun. these are not baby shows either. These motherfuckers are gigantic. Yeah, we haven't had any of them. Any of it. Like, <sighs> fucking franchise shows, trilogy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they've been all... Except for the Skin Deep one. I think that was the only one that... Uh-huh. Was like a small show. Yep. That's the only one. Thank all right, you I'll guys see you guys for... next time. Thanks for coming on, Derek. Thanks, man. Yeah, man. All right. All right. Peace, guys. <sighs> Later. Steelers about to lose. I'm gonna cry. Oh, I'm gonna go smoke a cigarette before I'm having the board. fucking worst <laughs> week for Pickham, man. Just horrible. Uh, I've been out of it since I missed that week. Uh oh, Le'Veon. Le'Veon scores touchdown. All right, this is gonna be intense. We're gonna be down by three points uh, with like three and a half minutes left to go oh, with all three timeouts. So if we stop Baltimore, we can maybe do it. Crazy. Nice. Well, I gotta record in an hour again. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! You guys record late, huh? Well, it's only today because you know the fucking Matt doesn't get out of work till twelve thirty. W works night shifts, doesn't he? Yeah, he works. He's off Sundays though. Uh, But he works. Oh, okay. So yeah, he's good then. All right. See you guys. See you guys. See it. Peace.